you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on Ahsoka, The Mandalorian, all the other cool and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. But uh, today, we're not talking about movies and TV shows. We're talking about the latest Star Wars video game, Jedi Survivor. Uh, Super excited to get into it. And as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tim. How's it going, Tim? What's up, Kyle? It's doing good. I mean... It's been a while since, uh, or it feels like it's been a while since our last episode, since we were covering Mando every week, but it's good just to roll into one big Star Wars event to another from Mandalorian season three to Jedi Survivor. So, I mean, as we've been saying all year, it's the fun doesn't stop when one thing is over in the Star Wars universe. This great stuff keeps on coming. And this was a really great piece of Star Wars content that we've got. Yeah, definitely. And it has been a little while since our last episode, I think maybe like three or four weeks. Um, We took a little bit of a break, kind of unintentionally, because I did want to try to get an episode out for May the 4th, um, either to, you know, have something to put out on May 4th or to like record an episode on May 4th and talk about visions or something. But that week ended up just being super busy. Uh, Plus Guardians of the Galaxy came out on May 4th. And I know the three of us all went to see that. So I uh, didn't end up getting to do an episode for that, but happy belated Star Wars Day to everybody. Um, hope you enjoyed May the 4th. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there's been some great Star Wars stuff since then. Um, Paul will be back on our next episode and we're going to talk Visions Season 2. So I'm excited to talk about that as well, because that was uh, really cool. And there's some great episodes in there that I'm also really excited to talk about. Um But since Paul's really busy right now and he's moving into a new house and, you know, can't be on tonight and also hasn't had a lot of time to play Jedi Survivor, we figured Tim and I would get on here and just do a uh, a big all out spoiler filled review of our thoughts of the whole game now that the two of us have beaten it. Um, And I guess first, in case anybody is wondering... uh, you know, hasn't played it yet or whatever and, and kind of wants to know some general thoughts on it. It's kind of hard to give an overview of the story without going into spoilers, but I guess first we could talk a little bit about just sort of the gameplay mechanics and um, the, you know, just sort of the the gameplay and the combat and the, the environments and stuff and talk about that a little bit um, as kind of a, a spoiler-free overview of the game for anybody that's just kind of curious to hear our thoughts on it. But then, um, yeah, we'll go real in-depth with spoilers and everything on the story, uh, which is incredible, and there's a lot to talk about there. Um, But before we get into all that, uh, Tim, what was your just kind of 
you know, overall spoiler free impressions of the game. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I mean, right when you first started playing the first section on Coruscant, just immediately everything felt, as far as gameplay wise, controls felt tighter, combat felt smoother. I mean, the different options you already, or all the moves you had already to play with, and knowing that there's more stuff that will become available to you, like the different lightsaber stances and upgrading your force abilities. But even at the very basic at the start, it just felt great. <laughs> and just uh, picking up where things left off from the first one as far as a gameplay standpoint, but just feeling tighter and just more better. But overall, I just think the game is an improvement over Fallen Order in every way imaginable. And that's not a knock on Fallen Order because that game's great. It's just... I think a testament just to how they improved on all that stuff that made the first game great and just made it even better in this one. Um, I think really the only thing that I hear from people that kind of hampers the game a bit is some technical issues, which I know, especially on the PC, it didn't have a great launch. And on the consoles, some uh, the PS5 effort hasn't run that. I don't know if you had this instance with it, Kyle, but other people I know who played on the PS5 said there was a lot of performance issues with it. But I played on the Xbox Series X. I had pretty much no problems at all except for some occasional texture pop-ins, which did get annoying in certain cutscenes where <laughs> certain objects would weren't there. And then all of a sudden, a few seconds later, they'd pop up. But um, other than that, I thought it ran pretty, ran pretty smoothly for me. And that was great because just everything about it from story standpoint graphics being better gameplay wise feeling tighter just the worlds are bigger more missions to do and just having more of an open world feel to it uh, especially on kobo but um the locations look great and just yeah everything about it was just an improvement from an already great game in the first one so yeah i absolutely loved it um there's i even though i beat it there was definitely a lot more stuff uh, to do in that game, which I plan to eventually uh, go back and uh, complete some of those side quest stuff because um, I said this before, how my main priority is to finish and get the story through because uh, I had two weeks to finish it before Zelda Tears of the Kingdom comes out, which as we're recording this episode comes out tonight. So I'm actually in the middle of downloading that game on my Switch. <laughs> so as we're done recording, we went straight to play Zelda. But I do eventually want to go back and finish um, some of those side missions that are in Jedi Survivor, because even those were the few that I did uh, were a lot of fun. Because I, going into it, like I said, I'm just going to focus on the story, just do that, so I make sure I beat it. But I still couldn't help myself and go do a few side quests because some were right there and some were intriguing. It's like, oh, I want to go explore this or find this out. So uh, there were some side quests that I did which were fun. So yeah, the game was great. Um, it's going to be up in there in the conversation as one of the best Star Wars games ever. I know for some people it already is their favorite Star Wars game ever. Um, I don't know if I can say that yet, just kind of for nostalgia reasons for some of the old school uh, Star Wars games that I played. But I think we're talking about original new story content for a Star Wars game. This is right up there probably with Knights of the Old Republic. So yeah, every way you look at it, I just think Jedi Survivor was a big success and well worth the wait um, for Fallen Order to this one. And I just hope... It probably seems like it, and I imagine there will. I just hope there's another one on the way because it would just be great to have a just another great Star Wars trilogy <laughs> just this time in the video game medium, and that would be awesome. And Jedi, the Jedi series is heading that way just with how great these first two games are. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, well, first of all, the director of the game, Stig Asmussen, I think is how you say his name, um, he did say that they wanted to make a trilogy 
um, out of these games. And the way, I mean, we'll get to this more when we talk about the story, but the way that this one ends uh, definitely sort of necessitates a third game, I think. I mean, with the first one, it was like, this is fun. I love these characters. I hope we get a sequel just so they can go on more adventures and stuff. But I feel like it was enough of a self-contained story that like you didn't, I wouldn't even say you didn't need a sequel, but like it it maybe didn't seem like a guarantee at the time. Like it was a new game. You didn't know how it was going to do, even though like it, it, you know, did really well and was really well received right off the bat and everything. Um, but it didn't necessarily seem like a sequel was like a slam dunk. It was like after the first one, I was really hoping for a sequel with this one. I'm just expecting one. Like mm-hmm. the way that this story leaves off, it's like, no, there definitely has got to be a, a third entry in this. Um, but yeah, I, I pretty much echo everything you said. I mean, it's, it's so much fun. The combat is just better and more expansive than the last game. You've got, you know, five different, uh, lightsaber stances to choose from now instead of two. And there's a whole bunch of different skill trees. Um, also it feels like you get XP and get skill points faster than you did in the last game, which kind of makes it easier to invest a lot of points in, you know, the, the different trees and stuff that you have. So you kind of get to try everything out. Um, and yeah, you've got these huge expansive worlds, which I'm always a little hesitant with open world games because you can mm-hmm. do some really cool stuff and there's always a lot to explore, but sometimes it can feel like a bit much. Sometimes it can feel yeah. like it kind of distracts from the story or because I'm also someone that like, I'm kind of a completionist. Like I don't, I don't beat every game to hundred percent completion, but I like to do some side quests. I like to chase after the collectibles and especially with a star Wars game, um, you know, I want to see everything that the game has to offer. Like I beat, uh, I mean, I've played Jedi Fallen Order probably like five or six times at this point. Um, but at least on one of my playthroughs, I did go through and, um, you know, like get a hundred percent completion where you explore all the maps, uh, find all the collectibles, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, get all the, the health upgrades and all that. And then eventually, um, after, you know, so many playthroughs, I, uh, playing on the Xbox, I got to the point where I had every, I like unlocked every achievement, um, which is one of only maybe two or three games that I've ever done that on. Um, and I feel like it wasn't that hard on Fallen Order, especially because like, they don't make you like, there's no achievement for beating it on the hardest difficulty or anything. You know, there weren't any achievements that were like too egregiously difficult or anything like that. Um, and so I like when a game is not just a linear story, but like, there's some extra stuff to do and you can explore and, you know, find some extra stuff. But at the same time, I like that. I like those goals to feel attainable. And there's some games Mm -hmm. where it's like, man, there's so much to do here. Like I'm never going to get around to finishing this. Like this is going to take a hundred hours to finish everything. And I've got other games to get to. Um, And even games like, uh, like Mass Effect Andromeda, which like Mass Effect is, you know, my favorite game series of all time. So you would think with a new Mass Effect game, I would want to go around and explore and complete all the side quests. Cause you know, you had like some big open world, you know, maps on the planets in in that game. Um, But there were some side quests that would just drag you all over the map. And it's like, and one of my least favorite things too, is sometimes you would like finish one planet in the story and you'd go to the next planet and you'd meet somebody there who would give you a side quest that would, that would require going back to the planet you just left. And so there was (laughs) a lot of, there was a lot of backtracking. There was a lot of traveling all over the map and, um, you know, sometimes it was like, well, sometimes as you're traveling from one side of the map to the other to track down a side quest, you'd pick up three other side quests along the way. 
And, you know, next thing you know, you've been playing for three hours just doing side quests and haven't done any of the main story. And it's like, again, like sometimes it's just hard to strike that balance of feeling like there's a lot to do and giving people options, but also, you know, for the, the people that are completionists and want to do everything, just making it feel like a chore. Um, and I feel like this game does not do that. Um, and I, I think it strikes that right balance, even though some of these maps are huge. And now that I've beaten the story, I'm looking at, you know, trying to find some of these collectibles and get 100% on some of these maps. And I'm feeling like, man, this is going to take a while, um, but it doesn't seem unobtainable. And it's fun. And, yeah, I mean, the game itself is fun enough with just the combat and the exploration and everything that I'm like, I want to keep playing this and want to keep exploring these planets and, um, you know, grinding this stuff out to 100%. Because even though I've I've finished the story now, I'm just enjoying still just running around this world and being a Jedi and, you know, fighting stormtroopers and battle droids and raiders and, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. So yeah, there's a lot more to do than in the first game. Like you said, there's side quests. Now there are, uh, people that you can recruit out in the wilderness on Kobo that will then come and join your yeah. little town and be, you know, they'll be in the cantina and you can talk to them and, uh, get side quests and, just have fun conversations and they'll tell funny stories and stuff. Shout out to Turgle and Skuva yes. Stev. My um, two favorite new characters in the game. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Turgle is freaking hilarious, yeah. especially if you keep talking. To, like I talk to him every time I go back there. Same, yeah. Um, and the past couple of times that I've talked to him, even after I've beaten the game, he's had some really funny stories. We need um, the Turgle Jar Jar team up story or game. Give me that. <laughs> you know what? They, <laughs> they would be best buds. Right. Um, <laughs> Either that or get on each other's nerves and hate each other. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that would be a fun pairing. But yeah, I mean, there's just so many uh, so many fun and unique characters and uh, just really cool environments to explore. And the combat is super fun. Like you said, it takes everything from the last game and just kind of kicks it up a notch. And it's weird because I've played the last game so many times. Um, and I feel like, you know, I'm just kind of very used to that style of movement and combat and everything. I think when I first started out, um, just playing the first couple hours of the game on Coruscant, it kind of took me a while to get used to it. And I wasn't like, I was, I was enjoying it, but I wasn't like completely in love with it right off the bat. Cause I feel like I was still just trying to get the hang of it. Um, and I was like, uh, you know, it, it felt just different enough that I was like, Oh, I kind of got to get acclimated to this, but I feel like now I'm completely used to it. I'm loving, you know, all the the different stuff you get to do and you know just the combat and everything like i said it just it felt different at first but it definitely is more fluid um kind of more you know precise and fast paced and everything so um yeah pretty much everything is just uh, a big step up from the first game i absolutely love it it might be my new favorite star wars game of all time but like you said i mean it's it's hard to put it up there against, I mean, I don't know, like the nostalgia of Knights of the Old Republic is always going to be a huge thing. Um, and then, you know, just we've had so much fun playing, you know, hours and hours of Battlefront and all that kind of stuff. But like, I mean, as far as especially as far as third person action games go, you know, comparing this against like the Jedi Knight series and the Force Unleashed and stuff like that. This is definitely the new gold standard in that category. Um, but also just in terms of telling a, a cinematic story and having great characters and stuff. I mean, it also just knocks it out of the park there. Mm -hmm. I think what will solidify it for me is how much I enjoy it on a second playthrough, because I'm definitely going to play this game multiple times. Um, maybe not as many times as I played Fallen Order, just because this one is longer and, you know, there's more stuff to do. And I think 
like I think the average playthrough in Jedi Fallen Order probably takes you about 15 to 20 hours. And I think this one took me around 25, maybe a little more to beat the story the first time. And now I'm like up in the 30s as I'm going back and trying to complete more stuff. So, um, but I'm definitely going to do another playthrough of the story, you know, sooner than later. And one thing about Fallen Order is like, I liked it a lot right off the bat, but that game definitely grew on me after a couple of playthroughs of, you know, it went from like, wow, this game is surprisingly good to, wow, this is actually like one of my favorite Star Wars games of all time. Um, we did a, uh, I think we did a ranking episode, you know, maybe a few years ago where we ranked our top five Star Wars games. And I think I had Fallen Order at like maybe three or four on my list. Um, so just by those metrics, I mean, Survivor is a better game all around. So it's definitely going to be higher than, than Fallen Order. Um, so we'll see where it ends up, you know, if that, if it ends up taking that top spot for me, um, but it's up there for sure. It's just a, a fantastic game was definitely worth the wait from, uh, you know, fallen order and, uh, can't wait for the last game, which, you know, if we have to wait another three, four years for that, that's totally fine with me. If it's, you know, this level of quality and just taking up another notch, um, I think it's going to be well worth it. Yeah. They've proven that. Um, it'll be worth the wait. <laughs> they know what they're doing uh, with this series. Another aspect that, or two other aspects I really liked about from a gameplay wise is just, you mentioned it too, but having kind of more of a central hub on Kobo in, in uh, the saloon or the can Greece's cantina. I just love having that space that you can just always go back to after you complete a mission. There, there's new conversations to be had. I mean, you kind of had that before just with your crew on the Mantis. It was just a lot more smaller scale in Fallen Order. But now that it's a full town on a planet where different characters you meet along the way go there, you interact with them. Like you said, this makes for some really fun, if nothing else, just fun conversations and kind of just building the world up a little bit. And But also, too, you get some uh, stuff about some, maybe some side quests. Um, and then additionals uh, jobs you can take on, like the bounty missions are available there. And just, um, just a lot of fun just to go there, just to, to see what's new with the different people. Because you do, the more conversations you've had with the different people in there, you are interested more in them and wanting to find out more about their stories and what happens to them. And um, not everyone that you encounter will make it through the entire game. Even like these NPC uh, characters that are there, uh, as you, the more you talk and engage with them, but all of them might not even survive by the time you finish with the game. So it's just a lot of interesting stuff there that I just loved having that central hub that you can go back to and uh, just dive into the, the world more in this era uh, with these characters of Star Wars, which is really cool. But also, too, the customization, uh, I really love that in this game, mainly so what you can do with Cal doing more customization other than just a poncho now, but more uh, stuff you can do with the wardrobe, uh, a beard, clean shaven, different hair styles, all that stuff was just really fun to do. Um, the one I used throughout the game was the one that came with the pre-order bonus, which was pretty much the Obi-Wan <laughs> outfit that you get. And uh, his episode one lightsaber, which I'm glad it was that lightsaber uh, design that they used because I really loved that uh, design he had in the Phantom Menace. And so my whole playthrough, I played with that outfit and with that uh, lightsaber. There was sometimes I was going to say, maybe depending on where I'm at in the story or what plan I'm going on, I'll change my outfit. But no, I just, I couldn't change from the Obi-Wan outfit, especially um, with it, you being a Jedi, it's called Jedi Survivor and that, that's Obi-Wan as well. So <laughs> I just got to 
like that feel to it. And this, it just looked awesome <laughs> with Cal wearing the traditional uh, Jedi robes in the style of Obi-Wan. So that was the one I did. But just the fact that you had tons of different options to choose from. Um, I always love customization features in games. So the fact that they um, updated a lot for Jedi Survivor was uh, much appreciated. Uh, so that was just another cool aspect that helps make the game more enjoyable and more fun when you're uh, trying to create your own play style and not necessarily your own story because it's all, it's a set narrative, but just the little customizations on there, it just, I think helps makes it more enjoyable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously everybody's playing the same canon story, but it still kind of helps it make your version of Cal Kestis kind of feel like your own thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, Cause yeah, not only with the outfits, but like in the last game you could customize your lightsaber, but this game there's even more different lightsaber customization options with, um, you know, all the different parts you can swap out and then changing, uh, like color schemes and materials and stuff. And like in the last game, you could just change the color of your lightsaber overall, but now you can go in and change the color and the material and the different types of metal or wood or rubber or whatever on like individual parts of the lightsaber. Yeah. Um, you also at one point in the game get a blaster and then there's a you know there's a whole combat stance where you're using a lightsaber and a blaster and that's a lot of fun that was like one, Which, of, the main, one of the main ones i ended up using really because um, i was the opposite besides the tutorial part when you first get it i was i was just coming from the obi-wan's uh school of thinking i mean so uncivilized so i would not use a blaster or a see, i thought it was a lot of fun I, of the two new stances so so there's a single blade and a double bladed one um, and then there's a, a dual saber, you know, we have two lightsabers, um, which was something that kind of, you know, they worked into the story at the end of the last game. But combat wise, it was just like you could do special moves where you had your double bladed saber and you like split it apart and attacked with two different sabers and then put it back together. Um, but it wasn't like a, an entire stance where you could, you know, just wield two lightsabers the whole time. So that's in there now. And then, um, yeah, you've got this blaster one and then you've got the cross guard one. Which is like a real secondary. Oh, see, and that one's real, like slow and heavy, yeah. and like does a lot of damage. But it's you know, it, you kind of leave yourself vulnerable because your attacks have like big wind up times and stuff. So that one I didn't like as much. Although I didn't try it out a whole lot, I'm actually kind of playing around with it more now as I'm going around doing extra stuff after you know beating the game. Um, but yeah, I I mainly use the uh, the double bladed saber and then the blaster stance because the double bladed saber is just the the defense you get with that one with being able to reflect multiple blaster bolts i think it's just kind of unparalleled when like you walk into a room full of stormtroopers and one of them's got the the sentry gun and uh you can just deflect all of those blaster bolts back at all the different stormtroopers in the room and you can clear an entire room just like that um and then also like that one doesn't hit very hard, but you get a lot of like fast attacks in. And so I feel like that one's still pretty good for offense too. And then the blaster one was just a lot of fun to play around with and kind of, um, you know, get that, that uh, blaster saber combination going. And you kind of feel like, uh, you know, like Kanan and rebels or something, or, you know, other characters like that, where we've seen them use a, a blaster and a lightsaber before. So I had a lot of fun with that. Um but you can custom, you can do that same level of customization on your blaster parts. You can also customize BD one, um, and swap him out with a bunch of different you know parts and stuff. And that's another thing where like in the last game you could change his color scheme, but yeah, now you can change his whole look and you know put different pieces on him and stuff. Yeah, and even, then like you said with Cal, like you know changing his, his hairstyle and his facial hair and you know all these different outfit pieces and stuff. So it's a lot more you can do, and it's a, a lot of fun just to play around with that stuff. 
Yeah, as far as the BD1 customizations, uh, I really like how you can even, even you can do this with the lightsabers, I believe, too, where it's like you can have even look pristine or just have them look damaged or old or <laughs> just like ancient style. Mm -hmm. But I always kept my BD1 in pristine shape. You have, you have to have BD looking good. So. <laughs> but yeah. again, just those cool little touches that they throw in there are just awesome options to have. Yeah, for sure. Also, one other thing I wanted to touch on, because you mentioned this back at the beginning, talking about the um, performance issues. And like you said, I think it's mostly been on PC that people have been having a lot of issues. Um, and they've already released a couple patches and things to try to help uh, work on that stuff. Um, I played it on PS5 and I had a few minor issues. I think in the entire time I was playing, I remember the game crashing once. Um and didn't really have any issues since then. And I, you know, I have had uh, some minor issues with some of the the texture, you know, pop in and stuff like you were talking about. Although I didn't really, I don't remember noticing anything where it was like in a story cutscene where something, you know, randomly popped in. I think it's more just with some of the big environments um, where like not everything loads right away, and you'll see like some shadows or some textures on some cliffs in the background or something kind of pop in after a couple seconds once you like enter that environment. Um, one funny thing I did notice, because something else that uh, is not like a, a game-breaking kind of thing, but just like a little bit annoying, is sometimes when you're transitioning between areas, especially like it going into, uh, like when you're on Kobo and like going into the saloon, um, because that's kind of a big area in and of itself. It's like sometimes you'll try to walk in and it's like the door doesn't open right away because yeah. it's still like loading the inside. Now, the ironic thing I noticed is I usually... You, so you have the choice to play between um, like performance mode and I think they just call it like graphics mode or whatever, where it's like either the the highest resolution, you know, 4K, uh, you know, high res textures and everything. Or you can play it scaled down to like the 1440p, um, but it's like a, a 60 FPS frame rate. So everything kind of, it, you know, is, is moves more smoothly. Um, and I, for most of the game, I was keeping it on the performance mode because my TV also doesn't have great like motion tracking or whatever. And so, um, you know, sometimes stuff like fast moving stuff on my TV already looks a little bit blurry anyways. So I always want the thing that's going to make the movement look the best. Um, and I would assume that because the, you know, the, the quality mode or whatever makes, you know, it's like all the, the high res 4k textures and stuff. I, you would think that would be the one that would be slower to load um, and cause more of the texture pop in and, and kind of make it chug more because it's working harder to display all that high res stuff. But just for kicks, I switched it from the performance mode to the, the high res quality mode and the loading in and out of the cantina was a lot faster. And I was like, I don't know how the tech works. That doesn't make sense to me, but maybe I'll just keep it on this mode from now on. So um, if anybody out there is having issues on, especially on the PS5, you know, maybe try that out and see if it helps with uh, any graphical issues you might be having. But I mean, again, for, for the most part, I, you know, for me, it ran really smoothly. It was still, you know, there was nothing that made it not enjoyable to play. Um, and for a game of this size and scale, I mean, it's just amazing how vast the worlds are, especially on Kobo. Um, but also just, I mean, there's some absolutely stunning visuals and just, you know, beautiful landscapes and scenery and stuff. And so, um, it's really cool to see what they can do on these current gen consoles, but then also to see it kind of chug a little bit is like not entirely surprising just because there's so much there. Um, so yeah, I mean, but yeah, I really 
don't have any complaints about that. Um, you know, at least, uh, you know, from, from my experience, um, and for anybody that is still having issues with it, you know, I hope they continue to put out patches and, you know, get that stuff smoothed over so everybody can just have a smooth experience playing this. Cause it's just phenomenal, but yeah, I mean, overall, fantastic game obviously we both had a blast with it it's been getting rave reviews and i know a lot of other people have been loving it as well so if you haven't played it yet definitely check it out um if you uh you know haven't played it and uh want to do so soon and want to stay spoiler free uh get out now um actually one thing one other thing i want to talk about real quick before we get into the main story of the game um, is the uh, the tie-in novel Battle Scars, which did, you didn't end up reading that, did you? No, but I do have some questions. <laughs> so okay, I am so curious. yeah, I would highly recommend checking out uh, Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars if you, especially if you haven't played uh, Survivor yet. Um, but even if you have, and I mean, if you really enjoy Fallen Order and Survivor, and um, you know, you just want more stories with these characters, definitely recommend checking out Battle Scars. But especially, like I said, if you if you plan on playing Survivor and you haven't just haven't started it yet, I would read Battle Scars first because it really, I thought, worked as a, a great bridge between the two games, especially not even so much plot-wise, like as far as sort of the overall story, um, you know, it's a decent book. It's a pretty quick read too. Like it's less than 300 pages. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not like a mind blowing epic Star Wars story or anything like that. But um, it really does a fantastic job of getting in the minds of the characters and sort of fleshing out their personalities and their characterizations and bridging where they're at, you know, sort of in these five years between Fallen Order and Survivor. Because it's kind of a big jump. Survivor takes place five years after Fallen Order and the Mantis crew that all got together by the end of the first game, which is Cal, Seer, Marin, and Grease, and then, of course, BD1. Um, but those kind of four main characters all get, you know, really good characterizations in the book. They kind of all get their moments to shine during the story. But then by the time of uh, Survivor, they've all split up and kind of gone their separate ways. But then over, over the course of the game, of course, you're still playing as Cal, and, you know, you're encountering all these characters again and kind of getting the gang back together. Um, but it might feel a bit jarring at first as you're like, you know, oh man, these guys were kind of like a tight knit crew by the end of the first game. Like, why did they all split up? And there's, there's a little bit of context for that in the game as they kind of show some flashbacks and things and, you know, characters have different conversations about what they've been up to and why they split up and things like that. Um, but I really think like having read battle scars, I feel like I would have been confused, like not having that context. Um, just because, again, the you know Sam Mags, who writes the book, I think just does a really good job of putting you in the headspace of those characters and showing you like how they work well as a team and like their common goals, but also how they each have their own individual goals. And you kind of see like by the end of the book, they're all still together, but you see those cracks forming where mm, it's okay. like this isn't going to last forever. Um, and you definitely understand why they would end up splitting up. Because um, that was my big question was that is the reason and does it cover in detail why they split up in the book but i guess it doesn't but like you said just kind of lays the foundation for that i guess yeah it's not even so much see here's the thing i don't think it's a it wasn't like a big event it's not like they had a big falling out um in fact in the book so they're they're on a mission together and at one point towards the end of the book where you know things sort of go wrong on the mission and you know people are getting kind of frustrated and stuff they do kind of have a big fight and 
it's sort of during this fight that you realize that these guys are not all in this for the same reasons and they're sort of not on the the same page about their goals and their motivations and it's like cal wants to fight the empire because that's sort of all he knows um is just fighting i mean you know he's been fighting in the clone war since he was a kid um but also you know just seeing the evils that the empire is doing across the galaxy and stuff and he's like you know the only way we'll ever be free is if there is no empire so the only thing for us to do is try to make a dent in the empire and you know hurt them however we can um and then you have Seer, who's more concerned with preserving the legacy of the Jedi. And she wants to help, you know, other force sensitive people and start, you know, taking steps to rebuild the order, kind of like they were trying to do in Fallen Order. But then also she's starting to look into uh, uncovering ancient like Jedi texts and relics and stuff because she wants to build, kind of like I said, build like a legacy for, you know, if they ever do reestablish the Jedi Order, have like a foundation for them to look back on and have something for them to remember their past. Um, which, of course, you see in Survivor, she's gone and, you know, built a whole like Jedi archive from remnants of stuff she was able to um, to forage. So you see the beginnings of that in Survivor. You have Marin, who in the book is still very much like holding on to her rage from, you know, her home being wiped out, her people being killed on Dathomir. And she wants to fight the empire because, uh, you know, it's basically like the separatists aren't around anymore. She can't get revenge on Grievous. So it's like the empire is the next closest thing. It's like, she just needs to channel that rage and anger somewhere. And so she's just sort of directing it as directing it at the empire. Um, but by the end of the book, she kind of learns to let go of that a little bit and find a bit more balance within herself. And then you kind of see that carry over into the game where she she kind of left and went off on her own just to explore the galaxy and see, you know, kind of discover things on her own terms and kind of figure out who she is um, rather than just being defined by her connection to Dathomir or to the Mantis crew. Um, and then you have Grease, who is like, you know, he really cares about all these guys and, you know, he's their pilot and been flying them around for years, but he's the one that's kind of like, Hey, like, when is this going to be enough? Like we can't keep doing this forever. And especially as they keep getting into dangerous situations, he's like, Hey, we're, somebody's going to get hurt or something's going to go wrong or we're going to lose somebody. And, uh, we need to, you know, like at some point we got to cut our losses and, uh, kind of, you know, enough is enough. And, you know, you see he eventually settles down and sort of retires and, and founds a saloon um, out on an outer rim planet. So, um, yeah, all of that stuff is, you know, really well established and fleshed out in the book. And even coming into it, because um, I read the book just like a couple of weeks before the, the game came out. And even just knowing a little bit of what we knew about the story of the game from like interviews and stuff or just the stuff we had seen in the trailers. Because, again, you see Seer in her jedi library in one of the trailers you see uh grease in his cantina and you see him you know hugging cal like it's been a while since they've seen each other and so just kind of knowing some of these directions that the game was heading like reading the book it was like oh i see how they're setting this up and i see why this would you know why it would eventually end up being this way so um yeah i just thought it was a, a great bridge um you know decent fun quick easy star wars story but really great characterizations and you know if you love these games um and just want to uh add some additional layers of depth to the characters i definitely would re uh, recommend checking out that book was there any references um in the game to the book like with any conversations between the characters that 
uh, you picked up on, or was it something mm. like in Easter eggs, maybe that they were certain not laid out. Not directly, especially, I mean, there's a couple of characters that are pretty prominent in the book that they don't mention in the game. Um, I think the most direct reference, I don't know if they they referenced the specific event. I won't spoil how it happens, but if you, I mean, obviously in the game, Grease has a mechanical arm and they mention him getting hurt. I think they even mentioned, you know, there's an early sort of flashback scene between uh cal and seer and she talks about how like oh ever since grease got hurt you've been reckless and you know you're you're so obsessed with trying to protect everybody and make sure that doesn't happen again um and that happens in the book i don't know i don't remember if they uh if they specifically you know go into more detail about that incident um in the game but um yeah, there are things like that where you can see direct connections between some things like that between the the game and the book, but not that are like specifically detailed in the game. Yeah, there's there's nothing in the game that you're going to play and go like, "Oh, I I wonder what that is." And then you play, you know, read the book and go like, "Oh, that's what it was." Um So yeah, like no, there's nothing in the game that won't make sense to you if you haven't read the book. Um the book just adds some additional depth and context to things. Gotcha. It's, it would have been cool if there's maybe like a few more references to it for those that read the book could have gotten a kick out of but yeah um but no like i said i'm i'm absolutely glad that i read it beforehand it was just it was a perfect lead into it um and the way that uh sam mags writes these characters i mean you can tell that she's obviously a huge fan of these games and just gets these characters because it really felt like it felt like a DLC mission from the game, only just like reading it. Like it wasn't, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, different authors have their different styles and stuff. But when you have Star Wars characters that are so well established, you might read a book where it's like, oh, would would Anakin actually say this this certain way? Or, you know, some things just might translate differently between something you see on the screen and something you read in a book. And you kind of have to sort of reconcile that these are both the same character. Um but this book, like it, it was such an easy transition. Like I could, I could visualize the characters perfectly. I could hear their voices perfectly. It sounded ex- like everything was written and described like exactly how I would imagine them doing it in the game. Um, and so it really just, again, like I said, it feels like you're just reading a, a mission from the game in a book. So, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Cool we'll see if that should be probably one of the it's been actually a while since i read a star wars novel i knew i wasn't gonna be able to read that one in time for the game come out but from your review it sounds like one i should read especially with how much i enjoyed the story and jedi survivor so yeah I should probably eventually read that yeah and hey when was the last time i read a star wars book that you and paul didn't read right i know <laughs> Mark this down. <laughs> yeah um so yeah, I just wanted to throw that out real quick for anybody that's curious about that as well. And like I said, for anybody that uh, maybe if you're interested in the book and you're definitely planning on playing the game, I would maybe read the book first if you've got the time. Um, but that, without further ado, let's get into talking about you know the the meat of the story here. Um, and now, like I said, we'll give the the big spoiler warning. Um, if you haven't played the game yet and you don't want to know what happens, leave now, come back and listen to the rest of this after you play the game. Um, Cause we're talking about everything and Oh boy, is there some <laughs> surprising stuff that goes down in this game? Um, 
But let's just kind of start from the beginning where, you know, like we said, you, you start off as, you know, playing as Cal, obviously you're on Coruscant. Um, and at the beginning of the game, he's seemingly captured by a bunch of, uh, you know, Coruscant security guards who you quickly realize are actually members of your crew. Um, and, you know, they're kind of pulling a heist on Coruscant uh, and working for Saw Guerrera. And so, again, now, you know, the Mandis crew is split up. Cal's off on his own and he's working for Saw now. Um, again, kind of doing whatever he can to uh, to fight back against the Empire. And Saw is one of the only people doing that during this time period. So um, that was a cool little connection, even though you don't actually see him in the game. Uh, but we're introduced to his whole new crew. Uh, they go on this mission to... Uh, you know, steal some some data from an imperial senator, which is funny because it's that guy that we see in the trailer that's like the the Utapawan, um, mm-hmm. who's looking all menacing and stuff, and like he's got Cal's lightsaber. And so I thought from the trailers that he was going to be like a, a big important villain or like a really Same, sinister yeah. presence <laughs> in the game. And no, like he's just in the first couple hours um, and gets killed off pretty quickly after Cal and his crew capture him. And then the second, or not the second, the ninth sister Inquisitor shows up with a bunch of purge troopers. And uh, she just murders this guy right on the spot for, as she calls it, um, you know, like harboring terrorists or something because he's, you know, willing to negotiate with you to save his own skin or whatever. Um, or, you know, she's probably just trying to keep his his secrets out of your hands or whatever. But, um, you know, she kills him. She kills a bunch of your crew. Um, and, uh, you know, most of them are killed either by her right in that first sort of battle or just in the escape from Coruscant. Um, but Cal, you know, goes toe to toe with the ninth sister again. It's kind of the first boss fight of the game. And, uh, he kills her this time. You know, her fate was kind of unclear in the first game. Like you cut her arm off and then like push her out of a tree. And it was like, she could have died from that, but also she definitely could still come back. And so of course she does come back, got a new red mechanical arm, but we did recognize her. Um, and then, uh, you know, but at the end of the fight this time, Cal's like, it's time to set you free. And he cuts her head off and, you know, that's that. But I think that was a great way of like establishing, um, and you get like the new, uh, you know, dual saber lightsaber stance in the middle of that fight. Um, but it's kind of a great way to showcase like how powerful Cal is and, you know, still having all those powers and stuff from the first game, um, but showing, you know, just sort of how how powerful and experienced he is as a Jedi Knight at this point, that right off the bat, he's going toe to toe with an Inquisitor um, who was kind of a tough fight in the first game. And now it's like the first easy boss fight of the game. I say easy. It was still like all the fights in this game were pretty difficult. Um, but just the fact that she's the one, you know, right at the beginning of the story and he kills her pretty easily. Uh, it was just like, all right, dang, you know, Cal's back and uh, means business. I also thought it was kind of good to start off like your first boss fight was the Ninth Sister and an Inquisitor, kind of to kind of bridge the gap for like taking something familiar in the first game because the Inquisitors were featured very heavily in that first game. But yet mm-hmm. you fight one right off the bat in this one, but that's pretty much it for Survivor. How it just kind of letting you know that things it's going to be quite a different story for this one and it's not going to be retreading the same thing as far as like encounters and boss battles go for Survivor. So it's cool to have a little bit the kickoff is something familiar with the Inquisitors, but then it just goes far beyond just trying to fight Inquisitors over the course of the game with the different boss battles. So it was kind of like how it had that part of bringing a little bit from the first game, but then continuing and moving on to some different stuff, just to kind of start you out for some familiar territory in your first mission yeah. for the game. Yeah, sort of with something familiar and then kind of branch into more unknown territory from there. 
Um, and then, of course, also in this in this intro mission and with Cal's new squad, of course, the, the main character there that we're introduced to is Bode Akuna. Um, who, oh, Bode. Um, <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. I, we'll obviously talk more a lot, a lot more about Bode as we go along. But, you know, he starts off as this guy that's just, you know, he's, he's a member of Cal's crew. They're, you know, friendly with each other. They, I mean, Bode uh, ends up kind of being a companion to you throughout a lot of the mission. And you can, um, you know, he helps you in combat and you can kind of give him directions to help you with some environmental puzzles and stuff. Um as you also get to do with Marin later in the game and do with Bode like several other times throughout the game. I mean, it's a kind of a cool new companion mechanic that they introduced here. Um, but off the bat, he seems like a cool character and uh, becomes even more likable and seemingly trustworthy over the course of the game. And then, um, gosh, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of wait to talk about the big reveal, but it's hard to talk about Bode in the beginning and be like, oh, I like this guy, when, like, now I don't like this guy. Right. Um, <laughs> It'll be but, interesting to replay those early missions in, like, a second playthrough. <laughs> Just yeah, have a whole, yeah. totally new perspective. Oh, I've already, so him. so after I beat the game, then my wife started playing it. So I've been, I've been watching Allison play it, and, uh, ugh, like, it's, it's hard to keep my mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> but also, I'm picking up on stuff where I'm like, oh, I, I kind of see what's going on there. Or even like there's been some things where I'm, I'm watching her play, but I've also rewatched like some certain scenes on YouTube and stuff and like, you know, seen clips of other like streamers and stuff that have played it um, and seen some moments where I'm like, oh, I realized that that was the moment where this happened or something like that. So, um, yeah, but I was I mean, as much as I, I it pains me the way you know the direction his character went by the end um i mean bode is a really good complex well-written character um that like i i hate him but i i love sort of the idea of him as a character if that makes sense no oh, yeah I, I totally get what you're saying i'm just that just goes to the great storytelling that this game has and just what makes it such a great Star Wars experience, and in my opinion, kind of elevates even on the story standpoint more than the first game. Just adding that layer with uh, this character who you spend a lot of time with, and then eventually um, becomes uh, your biggest threat. So, yeah, just a great introduction uh, to the character because um, at least going into it, especially we were introducing him in one of the trailers that showed this new companion like gameplay mechanic, where it almost sounded like they've had. They worked together on past missions before where they're already friends, but this is really on Coruscant the first time they met and completed the mission together and just mm -hmm. kind of forming that bond right there and then. And just the more missions you do with him, uh, you really felt the growth and development of their friendship, which was just done really well over the course of the game. Um, just not only through cutscenes, but also just when he's traveling with you over the course of certain uh, areas in the game and the different conversations uh, they would have. So just really great stuff and how. Um, it was introduced here and just progressed uh, throughout the game. But that whole Coruscant mission was just really fun. Just a great way to get reintroduced uh, to uh, definitely Cal as a familiar character, but then BD1 also too. But just seeing him interact with these different characters and this new group he's working with. And just it just made for a very intense sequence when after the ninth, you battle the ninth sister and then you're trying to make your escape from Coruscant in the Mantis and you have this cool flight sequence which was is really awesome um mm -hmm. it was a lengthy cutscene too where they're trying to make their escape and um 
I forget the other member of your crew, his name, but the three of you. Uh, Bravo. Who's Bravo, the other, okay. The other pilot. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just you, Bode, and Bravo by the end of it. Yeah, just seeing them try to escape Coruscant with TIE fighters on their tail, making these daring escapes, but Bravo doesn't make it when you think he is. So it was just a great first sequence to just make you really excited that you're back with this character and Cal, experiencing a whole new story, had some fun gameplay, but then also, too, you're getting some great uh, story content and just some great action, too, in these cutscenes. So just all the way around, I just thought that whole first mission on Coruscant was just a great way to kick off the sequel to uh, Fallen Order and just get you reintroduced with everything you loved about the first game, but yet um, it's on a whole new, a whole nother level now. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, they you know make this desperate escape from Coruscant. Cal and Bode split up, but they both make it out safely. Um, and Cal, of course, is you know is flying the Mantis now, um, and it gets damaged in the escape. And he's like, "All right, well, I know who would know how to fix up the Mantis." And he pulls up the Kobo system, where which is where Grease is now. Um, so you go back to you, you go to Kobo, crash land the Mantis. You got to, you know, make your way into town and find Grease. And then Bode comes and, um, you know, he was able to make his way back to you. Um, and Bode and Grease, you know, get the Mantis fixed up. Meanwhile, Cal is, you know, investigating some other stuff going on on Kobo. You find this uh, ancient like Jedi chamber from the High Republic. You find a droid that's left over from the High Republic named Z. Um, who's been trapped down in this this cavern (laughs) for, you know, 200 years or whatever. Um, And through Cal's, you know, his echoes and force visions and stuff, he finds out about this planet called Tantalor that um, two Jedi from the High Republic had discovered named uh, Santari Kree and uh, Dagon Gera. Um, And um, yeah, it's this planet that is... Uh, it's it's hidden in this, you know, sort of nebula space anomaly kind of thing called the Kobo Abyss that's, you know, near the Kobo system. And it's this, you know, weird looking colorful cloud in space that, you know, apparently eats any ships that try to go through it. But they managed, they managed to get through it and discovered this planet that's kind of like this untouched paradise that, um, you know, it's like undiscovered and untouched and out of the way and could be like a safe haven. Um, and, you know, you see some flashbacks from the High Republic of of them discovering it, but then like the Nile get there and start invading the planet and stuff. You discover more and more about the backstory of this planet and the whole High Republic stuff going on over the course of the game. Um, but A, it was, you know, really cool to see that High Republic stuff worked in like to that uh, extent mm-hmm. and at first i was a little bit worried that it might be kind of gimmicky that like oh just because that's kind of like a big thing that they're pushing right now they wanted the game to have some kind of high republic tie-in um but it ends up being you know not just like a tie-in or a cameo or something it actually ends up being like really sort of crucial to the story um and uh and dagon and his storyline and his quest for tantalor kind of parallel some of the things that cal goes through in the game as well there's some interesting like character themes that are kind of repeated among some of the characters but um you know obviously this is sort of a a big discovery and and cal starts finding out more and more about it and realizing that oh if we can find a way to get to this planet this could be a refuge and uh you know a way for us to stay hidden from the empire um and as he's you know, finding out more about this, he rescues Z and she tells him some stuff and then sends him off into the forest of Kobo to find some other stuff that Kree and Dagon left behind. And uh, he finds this laboratory that's left over from the High Republic. 
And there's a, you know, like a back to tank in the middle of the room. And as he touches the back to tank again, he's seeing more of these visions through the force. Um, Cause he's got that skill where he can like touch an object and sense its history and stuff. And so you, you see Cal experiencing all these visions of all this stuff that Dagon and Centauri were going through. And in the middle of one of the visions, Dagon, you know, turns to the camera and is like, wait, you're not supposed to be here. And then we realize that Dagon is in the tank and is reaching out, you know, he's, he's woken up and he's reaching out to Cal and is, you know, asking to be released. Um, and this is of course the guy that we've seen in, you know, in the trailers and stuff that we speculated was a, a survivor from like the high Republic or some other previous era. Um, but yeah, I mean, they don't really describe how, like, if it was just him being suspended in Bacta or if there was some other kind of tech or force powers going on or whatever, but like, he's been suspended here for 200 years and, uh, you know, he, he comes out and, you know, Cal's kind of telling him that, um, you know, he's like, oh, I've seen you in the visions and it's been 200 years and, uh, you know, the Jedi are gone now and telling him about the empire and stuff. Um, and at first, you know, you think, oh, you know, this fellow Jedi, like they could be allies, but you know, as Dagon is kind of processing all this information and stuff, like he gets his old lightsaber and uh, you know, and he's only got one arm. So I think just using the force, he like, you know, opens it up, pulls the crystal out and turns it red. And uh, I mean, that was just a cool scene seeing a, a dark side user, like bleed the Kyber crystal right there. Um, and like knocks Cal back with a wave of energy. And of course, after all this time, he's now like vengeful against the Jedi. And again, you find out more that like in his sort of obsession for Tantalor, like the Jedi initially supported their discovery and, you know, him and Centauri wanting to like build a temple there and explore Tantalor more and whatever. And then like, as the, the Nile came and invaded and it was getting too dangerous and stuff, they wanted to pull back. And Dagon was like, no, this is my life's work. Like, we're staying here. We got to see this through. And the council, you know, kind of turned against him. And to the point that he was like killing other Jedi that were standing in his way. Um, and so now he's just kind of like totally disillusioned with, you know, the, the old Jedi order and stuff, especially now that realizing that they fall into the empire and stuff, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. I'm continuing my quest for Tantalor. You realize that he's like leading the, uh, the Bedlam Raiders, which are this, you know, sort of just, gang of mercenaries or whatever that are all on Kobo. Um, and they've got some guys throughout the game that are a pain in the butt to fight, you know, but they've got like some cool looking armor. A lot of them have like electro spears and stuff, but they've also got their own whole army of battle droids left over from the clone wars that they've commissioned. So like, those are a lot of fun to fight too. Um, and as usual, great battle droid dialogue throughout the course of the game. <laughs> plenty of great bad battle droid dialogue. Um, but then, so also when you when you first get to Kobo, you meet Ravis, who is the leader of the the um, the Bedlam Raiders, um, and he is uh, he's a Gendai, which is the same species as Dirge. So he's you know just this giant menacing alien warlord dude. And you realize after I Dagon... forgot actually that was his species. So when your final fight with him and he does that thing with his arm, is like oh that's right. <laughs> like, uh, yep, it's almost like fighting Dirge here from the Clone Wars micro series. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you find out that like uh, that uh, um, Ravis is loyal to Dagon because Dagon is the only one who's ever been able to best him in combat, and because of his like Gendai warrior code, he now owes him a life debt or something. Um, 
And uh, so now, you know, Dagon is awake and active and on his quest for Tantalor, and he's got this whole army of mercenaries and battle droids at his command. And so he kind of becomes the main antagonist for most of the game. Um, and we don't have to necessarily go through like beat by beat of the story because a lot of it is kind of like you go to, uh, you know, Tantalor and then to Jeddah and then back to Tantalor. And it's a lot of back and forth between some of the same kind of planets. But just talking real quick about this, um, this whole sort of High Republic storyline with Dagon and everything. Um, I will say, like, I, I liked, I liked his character. I liked the tie-in with the High Republic stuff. Um, and like the, the boss fights with Dagon and with Ravis were pretty fun, but I will say this is one area where like, I didn't think it was bad, but one area for me that didn't quite live up to the heights of Jedi Fallen Order is I just didn't think the villains and the boss fights were quite as interesting. Um, I mean, like, uh, Trilla as the second sister in the first game, I thought was just a, a top tier villain. She's still my favorite inquisitor in all of Star Wars. Um, and just had like some great boss fights, but also just some great uh, characterization and, you know, just like twists and reveals with the character when you find out that she's Sears Padawan and stuff like that. So for me, like there was nothing quite on that level uh, with these villains and even with, you know, with Ravis, I mean, he's just a big intimidating brute and, you know, he's a tough fight and it's satisfying when you take him down. Um but even, you know, some of the fights in the first game with, like, the Ninth Sister and with Taron Malakos and, you know, stuff like that, I thought were, like, just a little bit more enjoyable um, and felt, a like, I always love it, too, when the when the boss battles feel more like actual Star Wars lightsaber duels than, um, you know, just sort of, like, video game boss fights. And that's kind of, especially with, like, the that's kind of how the Ravis fight felt more to me was just, like, you're fighting this big, you know, video game monster and then I will say, it's, I think you fight Dagon like three different times in the game. Yeah. Um, and the first couple of fights actually did kind of feel more like just intense, like one-on-one -on -one lightsaber duels. And then the third and final fight, he's throwing all these different like illusions and force projections at you and stuff. And like, it's really cool, but also like it gets a little video gamey where you're just like dodging waves of energy and stuff. Um, and also like just with him as a character, I, again, it was good, but there was nothing that like really drew me to him as a character. Um, but I did like the, I, I mean, I like just sort of the the examination of like his sort of descent into madness, I guess, if you will. Like he does sort of turn to the dark side, but it's not like he's being seduced by a Sith Lord or something like that. It really is just, he sort of becomes obsessed with this goal um, to the point that he's willing to, you know, go against the other Jedi that he now sees as standing in his way, um, which is sort of, you know, if you think about it, it's like the same thing that happened to Anakin. And I think it's sort of holding up a mirror of like, that's what could happen to Cal in sort of this pursuit of like trying to fight the empire and his obsession with like protecting the people that he loves, you know, Dagon is sort of an example of like how that could go too far. Um, but Dagon is kind of a more extreme example of that. And then by the end of the game, you see the more unexpected, but sort of more relatable version of that in Bode. Um, and so it was kind of like, I don't know, it, it, for the first like two thirds of the game, because also the final fight, like th throughout the game, Dagon is kind of presented as the main villain, but then you, you kill him in the final fight with him. Uh, and then there's still like several hours of the game left. And so you're like, oh, maybe it really wasn't about Dagon all along. Um, 
But again, at that point, I was kind of like, eh, like I'm still really enjoying this. It's just if if there's one, you know, thing about the game that maybe isn't as good to me as the first game, just it's the villains and the boss fights. Um, but then in the last few hours of the game, that changed quite a bit. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. But that was just kind of my thoughts on those two guys. But how do you feel about that? Yeah, I kind of agree with you where it felt like it didn't live up to the potential to explore a character like that from the High Republic. Because I said before, I love that line that we got in the trailer where he's like, Tell them, how can you let the Jedi Order fall to this machine of an empire? Like this, I really, I wish they explored more of that. Just kind of seeing more of his perspective of the galaxy now, waking up as someone from 200 years ago and seeing the state of the galaxy ruled by the Empire and the Jedi or no more and how uh, they fell. So I kind of wish we had more cutscenes with that. Um, but it was an interesting story that I was invested in seeing it unfold as you progress through the game and get more insight to what happened and into his fall. But um, when it, when we weren't getting that much content with him, or at least like new cutscenes with him in the current timeline, besides like setting up some uh, upcoming boss fights with him, I, that's where I started kind of to feel, hmm, I wonder if there's going to be more to his story or someone else um, that's actually going to be the main villain. Because, yeah, once we got to that third fight with him and you actually kill him, and I knew this wasn't the end of the game, I was like, huh, this is interesting. This could either be like um, something that's going to be a disappointment of the game where a character who could have been one of the more interesting aspects of it as a villain is quickly over with, and then they're going to shoehorn something else in here. Like they're going to introduce some new character. Like this happens in video games all the time. Oh, the final boss is actually um, someone you never heard of or was uh, introduced to until the very last bit of the game. So it just feels like kind of thrown in there. Um, but thankfully the direction they went made it all worth it because it was such a great twist that we got <laughs> when it came to the moment with Bo. Not only that, when revealed that he becomes kind of the main antagonist of this, but also his history and where he came from. I don't know if you want to get into that yet, but I guess we'll save that when we get to that point. But um, it definitely didn't uh, detriment uh, the game as far as its story, ending this part with Dagon and the connection to the High Republic and all that. It was cool to see what we got and I think they could have done more with it, but just because what we got so later with Bode, I think it, it just made for an overall great story because that aspect of it was the better story than we got with Dagon and Ravis here. But they were cool in their own way, but not explored enough to be as good as what we got later on when it comes to Bode and where the story goes after this section. Yeah, exactly. Because it was like, you know, it was like they could have done more with those guys um, with Ravis, too. I mean, Ravis kind of has a little bit of a tragic story when um, you realize, I guess, Gendai lived for a really long time. And, you know, again, he was he was around back in Dagon's time in the High Republic, you know, 200 years ago. And, uh, you know, he's still loyal to him all this time later just because Dagon was the only one who could defeat him but like didn't kill him. He instead decided, you know, I'm just going to keep you around and, you know, you're going to owe me a favor. Um, but the Gendai, much like, you know, sort of Mandalorians and other warrior cultures, you know, sort of the ultimate honor for them is like an honorable death in battle. Um, and that's really kind of all he's after. That's like the reason he's still fighting and, uh, you know, still around after all this time, he's just waiting for somebody to kind of like release him from this bondage to Dagon. Um, and so, cause even when, you know, when you defeat him, um, 
you know, in, in that boss fight, he's like, uh, you know, kind of conceding and he's, you know, obviously Cal's a Jedi and you would think he's not going to just like execute somebody that's sort of defeated and disarmed. But Ravis is like, no, please like, let me have this, uh, you know, death in battle and like release me kind of thing. Um, so you could have, you know, they, they could have played into his characterization a little bit more. Um, but certainly at least with, with the way that he ended, I thought, you know, that was sort of a, a tragically fitting end for his character yeah. for someone who was such a, a proud warrior. Um, but then also, you know, the stuff with Dagon, it's like they could have done more with it. But again, once you kind of realize how everything wraps up, you're like, oh, it was never really about him the whole time. Anyways. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, his stuff was more just to introduce all this High Republic stuff and, and the concept of Tantalor and kind of tie all that together. And like I said, to kind of hold up a mirror of just what that obsession can look like um, and sort of what it means to be a, a Jedi survivor and, and, you know, the way that they kind of go about surviving in this time period it's funny because like when the the title was first announced you know just jedi survivor i was like oh that's kind of kind of a bland title i guess if it's just talking about cal like we know he's a survivor but i was like oh okay you know when we saw dagon in the trailers it was like maybe this guy's a jedi survivor too and so there's going to be two different jedi survivors and you know we're going to kind of get to like see contrast between the two of them of like how do they uh, you know, sort of what does that mean to them and how do they go about uh, sort of being Jedi survivors in this this time period and how do they carry on and stuff. Um, and little did we know that it's not just the <laughs> two of them. It's also, uh, I mean, it really ends up being like five different characters, I guess, because we also still have Seer. But we also have Eno Cordova. Um, yeah. And we can talk about that kind of transitioning over to kind of the Jedi storyline, which is kind of the other... Um, main location in the game and there's kind of like its own story going on there um but yeah it's like after cal finds one of the the high republic artifacts on kobo he's like oh let me go take this to see her and see if she has any information on it in her archive um so where's cal and bode and grease you know hop in the mantis they go to jetta um where uh seer is you know holed up in her base with uh this group called the anchorites they're kind of like, I mean, they're, they're sort of like these, you know, weird aliens with these, you know, elaborate costumes and headdresses and stuff. And like, you never really see their faces or anything, but you get that they're kind of like, um, I don't know, very like secluded and kind of eccentric or whatever, if you want to say. Um, the type of people that Grease is freaked out being around. Um, but she talks about, you know, they're, they're going to send out somebody to meet you and guide you to their base. And of course, surprisingly, it's Marin. Um, and you know, she and Cal reunite after all this time. And, uh, you know, she talks about how she's been, um, you know, they're helping, you know, see her in the anchorites and stuff. Um, she comes back to visit her from time to time, but she's also been off doing her own thing. Um, but man, Marin just kicks so much butt in this game. Like the first scene that yeah. she shows up, Cal's surrounded by stormtroopers and she shows up and is just. Uh, she clearly has grown more powerful in her night sister magic since the last game. And just, you know, her fighting skills in general, she's got this dagger that is like the broken tip of a spear, but then she can use her magic to like extend it into the full spear. And so like, you know, she's like fighting with this staff and then it'll collapse back into just a knife and she'll like throw it. And then she teleports over to the person she threw it at to get the knife back. And like, um, man, she's just doing all kinds of crazy stuff, but, um, 
you know, and then of course, like I said, you get to use her as a, a companion in combat as well. And so, I mean, just she and Cal do some, you know, some really cool team up moves together. And it's, it's so great to see the two of them back together. And I loved the two of them together in the first game. Um, especially the way that she kind of starts off as an antagonist, like, and, you know, as you're exploring Dathomir for the first time as Cal, she's kind of stalking you and like sending the Night Sister zombies after you and stuff. Um, and then when you both kind of realize that the real enemy is Malakos and that he's been manipulating her and lying to her about the Jedi, then like you team up and, you know, she helps you take him down in that fight. And then they have that really sweet moment where, um, you know, they kind of realize that, uh, that they have a lot in common with, you know, their past traumas and, you know, stuff like that. And that, um, even though she, I, I love her line where she says, you know, night sisters and Jedi do not travel together, but survivors, we adapt. And, uh, you know, she agrees to join Cal and the crew. Um, and so I was really hoping that we'd get to see a lot more of their dynamic together in this game. And boy, did they deliver in spades. Yep. Um, I mean, they finally confirm a romantic relationship between the two of them, which I was really hoping to see, but also just, you know, she gets a lot of really great character development and a lot of really great action scenes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, she was definitely a, a standout in this game for me, for sure. I know a lot of people were wanting more of her character after the first game, and they 100% delivered on that front. Yeah, I loved everything you got to do on Jetta, my favorite location of the game. I will say it was kind of a bummer just to really have two main planets that you were going back and forth on. Yeah, you had the the moon space station and uh, that the other place where the... IS or the Imperial Security Bureau was at. Uh, I forget the name of the location, but um, it would have been kind of nice if we had more planets to go to, but Jetta was awesome. It, it looked great. Um, just getting really into exploring more of that planet. Uh, that was so cool in Rogue One and to have it be featured so heavily in the game, it was, it was just really cool. And then, of course, that being the main location where you get to team up with Marin and um, just getting more of their great dynamic, but also on a gameplay front, um, having her in combat with you and doing some really cool moves and, um, and doing those a special combination, uh, like finisher attacks that you get to do. This is all really cool with the location, uh, the characters that you're interacting with, and one amazing sequence <laughs> in yeah. a video, let alone, not just a Star Wars game, but just in video games in general. I mean, that whole well, section. I was I was going to get to that a little bit okay. later, just because I want to talk more about just sort of their their first moment together here too. Okay, yeah, like, I'm, I'm getting too excited to jump ahead of myself. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean they have some incredible moments throughout the game. Um, but even but, too, I just mean, going into um, the area where uh, Sears at, um, where pretty much re recreating the Jedi library and the archives there visually just looked really great being amongst all those jedi <laughs> records and archives and stuff and so mm -hmm. uh, just everything about jedi i just absolutely love from a gameplay standpoint a visual standpoint story standpoint some of the best stuff happens on jedi um at the beginning middle and end <laughs> of the three like main missions that you get to do on that planet so yeah jedi was definitely the highlight of uh, the entire game for me there was just so much cool stuff that went down there yeah you're right i think like all of my favorite moments in the game just happened to take place on jedi um, but one of them that I want to talk about that's just as early in the game was, um, you know, after, you know, when Cal and Marin first meet up and you're trying to travel back to Sears base, um, and Marin's got a speeder, but you get ambushed by Imperials and like, you obviously defeat them all and you're fine, but the speeder gets destroyed in the process. But then they've got these creatures called Spammels, um, 
there's this giant like lizard camel giraffe looking things um that are like it's just one of those star wars creature designs that are like that's so weird looking but like just feels so star wars at the same time and just you know mm. it feels like yeah of course they would have these in the desert on jetta um but they you know you gotta ride one of those instead and there's uh just this really sweet moment where cal and Marin are you know you're riding on the spamel together through the desert um heading for the base and there's this beautiful track that plays like they've already released the full soundtrack album for jedi survivor as well and i love all the music in this game um but there's this one track called fields of dusk um that plays as cal and Marin are just riding on the spamel across the desert and they're kind of catching up after all this time and talking about uh you know cal's asking Marin like you know what she's seen on her travels across the galaxy and she's you know, kind of explaining to him like why she left and, um, you know, asks if he's still upset about everybody leaving. And he just kind of talks about, you know, he's he's still kind of bummed just because he didn't see it coming. Like, is, you know, when she and Seer left to go do their own thing. Um, and just this nice touching moment of like the two of them reuniting after all this time and the music really just underscores the emotional impact there. Um, but then of course they end up getting, they get caught up in a sandstorm and you got to fight off a bunch of Imperials and they, you know, they defeat an ATST together and then they take shelter in this cave. Um, and then there's just another, you know, just really beautiful touching moment between the two of them as they're in this cave together. And again, you know, just sort of, um, talking about their history and, uh, Cal asks Marin, you know, uh, what did she find as she was traveling the galaxy? And she says, you know, I found myself reflected in, you know, all the different people and places I visited. And again, kind of talks about reconciling with her past on Dathomir and how, you know, just realizing that like, it will always be a part of me, but it doesn't need to define me. And I can, you know, sort of, I don't need to be tied down to that and I can kind of make my own way. Um, really showing how she's, you know, matured a lot as a character and all, you know, in this time, um, and it's the scene from the trailer too, where, you know, she's telling him to like, look into the fire and, um, you know, how it can be, you know, warm and comforting, but it can also consume everything in its path if you let it. And it's, it's she said, kind of says that in relation to him talking about, you know, how he doesn't know anything but fighting the empire. And, um, again, kind of being a cautionary tale of like, you know, don't, don't lose yourself to this, <clears throat> to this obsession in this fight. So, um, yeah, just a beautiful moment there in that cave between the two of them, you know, just building up that that character relationship even more. Um, and then the next day, you know, the storm passes and they they move on together to uh, finally get to Seer's base, where they're greeted not by Seer, but by Eno Cordova, um, who was the, you know, it was Seer's Jedi Master, who was guiding you all through the first game, just through the holograms that were stored in BD. And I was not expecting at all to actually see him in the flesh in this game. Um, yeah. So that was a big pleasant surprise when he showed up for the first time. And, you know, the fact that you get to interact with him and Seer and see this Jedi library that they've put together. But also you find out that not only is Seer building an archive and not only are they uh, working with the Anchorites, but they're working with the path from Obi-Wan. Yeah, that was um, a cool Where you've got that, yeah. that network of people that are, you know, protecting fugitive Jedi and just Force-sensitive people across the galaxy that are being hunted by the Empire to find out that... Um, Seer and Cordova and Marin are all a part of that as well. And I think actually Marin was the one who first sort of got connected with the path. And then she sort of introduced Seer to them and, you know, sort of brought that all together. So it was like Seer was just doing her thing with the Jedi Archive and the Anchorites. But then um, through Marin, you know, she was able to uh, to start helping the path as well. So that was a, a big um 
you know, just a, a nice surprise there. Um, and something that, you know, again, given the, given the time period, because I think chron- chronologically this game takes place like around the same time as Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, not at the exact same time for obvious reasons that we'll get to a little bit later, <laughs> but around the same time. Um, so, I mean, it makes perfect sense that, uh, you know, that, um, you know, having four sensitive characters like that, that they would be involved in something like that. So, um, yeah, just even, even just the first trip to Jetta, you know, early in the game was just full of, uh, really nice surprises and character moments. Yeah, the whole sandstorm sequence was really cool. I mean, it just goes to show you how much great stuff we get later on in the game on Jetta, where that's probably the least coolest out of the three, but yet it's still a very awesome sequence to play through. And again, get some great character moments between Cal and Marin there. But yes, all that stuff was just great. This made me instantly think that uh, Jetta is just such an awesome planet to play on. <laughs> Little did I know the more great stuff was yet to come. But yeah, then also learning that they're tying in stuff with the path was just really cool. And just, again, it got me thinking like, okay, so where actually is this in the timeline? Is it pretty close to what's going on in the, uh, the Obi-Wan series a little before, a little after? I don't know, but it's just kind of kind of cool to know that knowing what happens at the end of the game, if that, um, the what they're trying to go to, uh, uh, the, the planet's name Tanavar, right? Tanavar, right? Tanavar, there you go. <laughs> no, I wasn't saying it right. But <laughs> uh, to have that be a potential destination for those, they safely move along through the path and just knowing that maybe some of the characters uh that we saw um in the obi-wan series on jabi maybe eventually get their make their way towards there so just a lot of cool stuff that potentially could have some connection there so it wasn't i mean it's a big part of the story maybe not the main part of it but just a cool thing to add in there as to kind of serve as um the, the motivation for certain characters and why they need to try to find that planet and it just made total sense where that would be just a huge reason to to get these just like next generation of jedi force sensitive people just away from the empire who's been hunting them down so just a really cool way to connect that story that we first learned about in obi-wan and have it continue in here so yeah i love that aspect yeah definitely um and then of course like i said the the story kind of bounces back and forth a lot between tanalor and then go, or not tanalor between jetta and then going back to kobo and uh the shattered moon of kobo where there's like a, a laboratory there that dagon is also operating out of um but it's like after your first trip to jetta you go back to kobo you find a couple of artifacts uh you know like one on the one on kobo and one on the moon and then you bring them back to uh, Jetta for Cordova to study and try to get more information about Tantalor. Um, and then in the meantime, you find out that there's a, a temple on Jetta where some other anchorites and members of the path are hiding out and it's being attacked by the Empire. Um, now you also realize, I mean, this obviously takes place before Rogue One. So I think this is maybe around the time that the Empire is starting to mine Jetta for kyber crystals mm-hmm. and stuff like we see in Rogue One. Um, because you realize that the empire isn't actually there looking for seer in the path. Like they've managed to stay hidden and the empire doesn't know they're there, but the empire is, you know, they're moving in on this temple with, uh, an excavation droid, um, which we realize is, uh, it's one of those like trident droids from clone wars that, you know, they attack, uh, that the separatists attack Kamino with. And now, you know, the empire is using them for drilling into ancient temples and stuff. So it was cool to see one of those again. Um, but, it, you know, Cal and Marin go out together to to try to, you know, 
evacuate these anchorites. And you again, like along the way, they just kind of realize, oh, the empire is not here for them. They don't realize what operation is going on here. They're just trying to excavate this temple and see if there's anything valuable in there or whatever. And they they just happen to be you know, on the verge of crossing paths with the path and the anchorites. And so they got to kind of prevent that from happening. Um, and so they're able to get there. Uh, you know, Cal gets the the codes from, there's, you know, some anchorite brother who I think eventually ends up dying. Um, yeah, but, he you know, crushed under some rubble. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, but Cal gets the, you know, there were like some contact codes for the hidden path that they were trying to not let fall into the empire's hands. And so he gets those away safely. But then as he and Marin are trying to escape this temple, um, we come to what is, I guess, probably my second favorite sequence in the game, but still (laughs) one of the all time coolest video game sequences I've ever played. And also one of my all time favorite star Wars moments, um, and, uh, you know, Cal and Marin run out of this, this temple, they're cornered on a cliff with nowhere to go. Um, and, you know, Cal's like, all right, what do we do? Do we, do we stand and fight? And, you know, as he's kind of got his back to Marin and not looking at what she's doing, and she pulls out like this vial of, you know, green night sister magic stuff and like draws a big circle in the air that turns into this like magic portal. Um, and she turns to Cal and she says, uh, she's like, do you trust me? And he's like, yeah, what are you doing? And she goes, no, no, no time to explain. Like, and she takes him by the hand and is like, do you trust me? And he's like, yes, I trust you. And she kisses him, which, uh, in and of itself was a big moment for those of us that were hoping to see Cal and Marin get together. But then right up. And I love at the end of it, like he goes, oh, was that for luck? And she says, no, that was for me. Um, <laughs> And then jumps into this portal and tells Cal to follow her. And then you as the player have to, you know, go and jump off this cliff into this portal. And it just, I mean, I can't even describe in words like the way that this scene plays out. Yeah, it won't do it justice how great and, it is. No, because I was thinking, I was thinking maybe this was going to be like the game portal where, you know, we were going to jump into oh. <laughs> this hole and like come out safely on, on the other side. Especially because you see Marin, you know, sort of teleport a lot with her her night sister magic and just like disappear from one area and reappear in another. Although it is cool the way that um, this is also something that's kind of expanded more in the novel battle scars. Um, She kind of explains what's happening from Marin's perspective when she's doing that is that she's not teleporting. She's like turning invisible and using a, like a burst of sort of force speed um, or whatever the night sister magic equivalent of that is to get from one place to another and then reappearing. So like to the blind eye, it looks almost like she's teleporting, but she's really just like turning invisible and moving really fast. Mm, Um, So I thought we were maybe going to be doing something like that, which maybe to somebody who's not Cal and Marin, maybe that's what it would look like in this sequence. But as you're playing it from Cal's perspective, you're like flying through these fiery green tunnels of night sister magic and like, emerging from these portals and then jumping into other portals and you're just flying all around this ancient temple and like you're emerging from portals jumping off of walls dodging falling rocks you know evading laser blasts from tie fighters and then jumping into more portals and you know just flying through and uh, the whole time just the visual of this you know this this fiery night sister magic is all around you and it's just it's a rush. And the whole thing obviously yep. <laughs> is just this high speed, you know, flying acrobatic, you know, aerial action sequence um, that ends with, uh, you know, you and Marin like up on top of this plateau or whatever, um, sort of in one final showdown with the droid. And she uses her magic to grab one of its claws and just 
break it apart into all of its like components. And then Cal does a massive force push and just curls all this shrapnel into the middle of the droid and destroys it. Um, just, I mean, like I said, you know, obviously if you've played it and you're listening to this spoiler review, like, you know what we're talking about, but, um, you know, describing it can't do it justice. It's just such a, a visual rush and thrill ride. And, you know, just even cause I've rewatched that clip on YouTube and like seeing other people play it, just like to see, you know, watch other people's reactions and stuff, which is always really fun. Um, but you know, just nothing matches the thrill of like having the controller controller in your hands and like feeling yourself kind of do that. Um, is just such a freaking cool moment. Boy, that entire mission is just my favorite part of the whole game because even before that, I just loved it felt like a cross between Star Wars and Indiana Jones because that had a real Last Crusade vibe to me as you're mm. making your way through the desert and up to the temple and the Rocky Mountains and everything. It was just really cool. So that was just all great. But then you just cap it off with that incredible sequence. Like, as you said, it was an adrenaline rush where it was just could didn't haven't played anything like that. And to have that in a Star Wars game or two, it just makes it even better or to have it be one of the best, most fun gaming moments that I've experienced in a good long time. And it's going to be up there as one of the most fun that I've ever played. It was just, again, just that rush that you're going through the portals running on the walls and you're, TIE fighters coming at you, shooting at you, just visually, it just everything, all this is coming at you, just at such a quick speed too. So you kind of have to be on your toes as you're uh, controlling Cal, making your way through the portals and making sure you're running up against the walls and to get to the next portal. So it's just going to be so much fun. So it was just really cool. I was just blown away. And you kind of gave me a heads up or a tease like, did you make it to the sequence yet? Like, you didn't say what it was, but you just said it was just something incredible. So I, mean, I just told you, like, I just played one of the coolest things I've ever played in the video game. And like, if you haven't gotten to it yet, you'll know it when you get there. And I for sure did. As soon as I was finished or even as I was playing it, I was like, this has to be what Kyle was talking about. It was awesome. And yeah, just uh, probably my favorite moment of the game. Yes, there's more awesome stuff that comes later. But just from kind of like a surprise and not expecting to have a sequence like this and just delivering on just how much fun and just like, because we described it as what a rush it was to play through, it was just nothing compares to it in the game. So yeah, it was just really, really awesome. But again, just that whole section, um, your mission that you're trying to do, it was just really great. I just loved everything about it. Um, again, the highlight of not only uh, just being uh, or one of the highlights of being on Jetta over the course of the game was definitely in this section right here. It was just incredible to play through. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely the highlight of the first two thirds of the game. Um, but yeah, just, I mean, like you said, the whole, even just the vibe of like being in, in this ancient ruins on Jetta and stuff, which is a really cool environment to have this, uh, this action scene play out on. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think from there, um, you know, you, uh, I think you get the codes, you go back to Seer and, uh, and Cordova, but then you go back to, um, back to, uh, Kobo and find out that Z has been captured by, uh, Dagon and, um, Ravis and, you know, the Raiders while you were gone. And so then you got to go and rescue Z from, uh, the heart of this uh, separatist battleship that is 
you know, I don't know if it was it crashed on Kobo or it was just kind of decommissioned there. It's where they got all their battle droids from. Um, and that was another really cool mission, just getting to, uh, you know, travel through this this old Separatist Lucre Hulk and, you know, fighting all these battle droids and stuff. But of course, now, like, there's also like a raider village that they've like built inside it. Um, but you go and rescue Z because she's got this like this data disc thing that they're trying to use to to unlock something to get to Tanmore. I don't remember all the specifics of like all the little MacGuffins and stuff that they're trying to find. But um, that's where you have another fight against Dagon. Um, and then, um, it's like at some point Ravis gets something and he goes off to the moon. So then you got to go, uh, you know, you survive the fight with Dagon, but like you, you know, you both survive and escape and you got to go after Ravis. And so you go to the moon and like have your final fight with him and get, uh, you know, like the final compass or something like that. Um, and then you go back, back down to Kobo again, and you go up to this like observatory and you have another fight with Dagon there. Um, and like I said, I mean, it was really, um, I'm, I'm probably making it sound more, more boring than it was like all that stuff was fun. And I liked the whole kind of, you know, just the fun adventure of chasing after these like high Republic artifacts and stuff like that. Um, we kind of talked about already, like all that stuff with, uh, with Dagon and, uh, Ravis, like it was, it was fun, but it wasn't my favorite part of the game. And it's funny because I hadn't even really sort of realized it until you brought it up, but it's like all my favorite story moments um, in the game definitely happen on Jetta. But Kobo was just really fun to explore. And there's so much yeah. to do in so many different areas of it and stuff. So that it. was one of those things where it was like the story was fine, but it was really just sort of the gameplay and the exploration and stuff that I was really enjoying. And then anytime you went back to Jetta, it was like some really meaty story stuff happened. Yeah, it's funny. I actually started unintentionally the mission of the observatory of just exploring Kobo known as there's like a side quest there. Like, oh, I'll go find it. And little did I know I'm making my way through like the Imperial hangar that you go through. <laughs> I get uh, the new upgrade for BD one, the, the shock blast. Like, um, I'm like, this is probably going to be needed for an actual like main story mission, but I'm getting it here on, on my way to a side quest. Like, Oh, maybe I am moving along further than I should have the main campaign. So by the time, I had to get to uh, the point to go to the observatory. It's like, oh, I already did everything to make my way up to the observatory and use like those old Republic launching points. So unexpectedly, oh, nice. yeah, unexpectedly going exploring in Kobo, I was doing part of the main story and I didn't even know it yet. <laughs> a surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. It, it definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and of course, shout out to Rick, the door technician. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I was telling you about this, how, my friend Dane, he was telling me, oh, I just had the most amazing boss battle ever. And he goes, have you made it to a part called the Technician? I go, no. And then we're talking about some great moments. I go, "Do you? did you have a boss battle with someone with a Technician? And it didn't ring a bell. But as it, I was... Yeah, no, as you were as you were talking to me about it, I, I was like, a Technician? No, because it had already, like... It's not that it had slipped my mind, but I wasn't thinking about it just because, I mean, that's obviously for, if you don't know what we're talking about, there's a, a point where you're going through this Imperial base and, um, you know, and you fight like all the regular enemies that you fight just have like normal green health bars above their heads. But like when you go into a boss fight, it shows their name at the top of the screen with this big red health bar. And so you're just walking down this hallway and a random scout trooper comes running at you and it comes up with like the boss 
you know, the boss battle, you know, title up there of, and it has the boss, the, the boss name as Rick, the door technician. And it's just this random scout trooper. That's like, I'm going to get you. And like, you kill him in one hit. And it's like boss defeated Rick, the yeah. door technician. <laughs> and it's just this funny little like Easter egg kind of thing. We're just like, what the heck was that? Um, yeah. So when I got this, I was like, Oh, that's what he was talking about. Okay. Yeah. And I, now I, I you was, know why it's the greatest boss battle ever. <laughs> I had texted you about a different, greatest boss battle of all time that happens later in the game and you were like oh yeah obviously i was trying not to spoil it i was just telling you like man i just had this you know this another epic moment um and you were like oh my friend was telling me about something too like does it involve a technician and i was like no like but at the same time i was trying to rack my brain i was like i feel like something happened with a technician but it wasn't like an epic boss battle like what am i I was like, what am I missing here? Like, what did I, did I not get to that part yet? Like, but um, yeah, I just, I wasn't thinking about Rick in that moment, but that was, <laughs> I don't know who decided to throw that in there, but it was just a funny little yeah. touch, you know? <laughs> I've seen people be like, oh, I wonder if Rick, the door technician is related to Matt, the radar technician. Right. <laughs> it's his, it's his father or something. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Um. But yeah, so like, um, you know, you like I said, you kind of bounce back between those a couple more times. You have those final boss fights with uh, with Ravis and then with Dagon. And uh, from Dagon, you know, you get the final compass that leads to Tantalor. Um, and it's like, you know, they had made like three device, three of these devices that like help you navigate the, the Kobo Abyss to get to the planet. And you had found two of them earlier in the game, but they were like damaged beyond repair. And so then you find the, you know, Dagon's got the third one and you have to have this final confrontation with him and get it from him. Um, and then you get that third one and it's also damaged, but it's like, we can still use this, but you're like, let's take it back to uh, Cordova on Jeddah and see if he can fix this. And um, oh man, this is where you got to start stealing yourself emotionally for the, just the emotional damage that the game throws at you for the last like five hours or whatever of the story um because it starts with this nice reunion where you you go back to jetta and uh cordova is like oh yeah like i can fix this you know just give me a few hours or you know just give me some time and, and i'll get this all ready to go and we can be off on our way to tantalor and seer is like all right let's let's give him some space to work and i know uh this you know i i know a place with a great view and they go up to this you know mountaintop you know and they're having a campfire and everybody's just kind of talking and catching up and you know you're up there with cal and seer and Marin and grease and bode and everybody's having a good time you feel like you're at the end of the mission um now at this point i don't know if you were wondering like if um if the game was going to be kind of over by this point i knew there was going to be a little bit more well, because first of all, I mean, there's the scene in the trailer where um, Cal's on the speeder bike on Jetta mm -hmm. and like throws the scout trooper off of the bike and up into the air and like into the TIE fighter. And also in in one review I had read of the game that like didn't give spoilers or anything, but they mentioned that Seer gets a really cool action scene. And I was like, we haven't seen Seer in action <laughs> in action yet. And I was like, I'm, I feel like there's going to be maybe some more stuff with the Empire here on Jetta. Um. And I was right. I just didn't know how right I was going to be or, <laughs> you know, I was more right than I wanted to be. Let's put it that way. Um, 
because you know you're having this nice moment uh and cal says to seer he's like hey why don't you come with us to tantalor because up to this point you know really the quest has been it's been like cal and bode working together to try to get to tantalor um and you know of course bode talks about having a daughter and he's you know lost his wife to the empire and now he's just trying to keep his daughter safe and so um you know he wants to be able to bring her there and then be able to just live a peaceful life away from the empire cal kind of wants the same thing um and again you know this was sort of his his conflict earlier with marin he's like hey we found this place that could be you know just a peaceful safe haven away from the empire but it would mean leaving the fight and like i don't know if i can do that um but up to this point, it's kind of been more of a personal thing. And then he tells Seer, like, hey, why don't you come with us? And, you know, we can move the whole, the path and the anchorites and everybody like this is, a, you know, it's this whole planet. Like, we've got room for everybody and you guys could, you know, we could keep everybody safe from the Empire there. And she's like, you know what, that's a great idea. Let's do it. I'll go get the archive ready. And, you know, she leaves to go get her stuff prepared. And then I think Marin goes with her. And so it's just Cal and Bode. And this is one of those moments where, uh, you know, watching this clip again after the fact, I was like, oh, I see the wheels turning here. Because then Cal goes to Bode and he's like, hey, like, what's bothering you? Like, you seem like something's wrong. And Bode seems kind of distant and like he's thinking. And he just goes, oh, I'm just thinking about my daughter. And, uh, you know, even though, like you know, we, we love each other and stuff. Like, you know, whenever I'm away from a, for a long time, like coming back is always hard. And, you know, he makes it just seem like he's, he's kind of off in his thoughts about his daughter and stuff. Um, but then, you know, he and Cal have this, uh, sort of, you know, touching friendship moment where they talk about, you know, everything they've been through together. And now they're, they're finally at the end of their journey and they've gotten the thing that they set out to do. And, Bode says, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, record a bedtime story for Kata, his daughter. And uh, he leaves and goes back inside and then Marin comes out. And there's also been, you know, throughout the game, like after that first moment that, uh, you know, Marin kissed Cal back on Jeddah, Cal kind of expressed some doubt about like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't, you know, he's afraid of losing himself in this fight to the empire and still is kind of like, clinging to the old Jedi code of no attachments. And uh, there's this moment where like, as he and Bode are infiltrating the separatist ship together, Bode is kind of encouraging him to like, you know, pursue this relationship with Marin and being like, Hey, you know, uh, you know, life's too short to not, you know, pursue your own happiness and stuff like that. Um, and so then, you know, Marin comes out and they have this moment together where, uh, you know, he basically tells her like, hey, you know, the Jedi Order has gone and it's time for me to sort of move on from that and, um, you know, go after what I want. And, uh, you know, she's like, oh, you know, it took you long enough. And like they kiss again. And it's this nice sweet moment between the two of them. Um, but of course, unbeknownst to us, in the midst of all this happiness, disaster is right around the corner because then the next day we go back inside and, uh you know, go back in the base and Cordova's like, all right, I fixed the compass. We can go off to Tantalor. And then alarms start blaring. They realize, oh, the empire is coming down on us. And in the midst of the chaos, Bode pulls a blaster and turns on Cordova and takes the compass from him and then uh, shoots him and escapes. And as Cal, you have to, you know, run off after him. And that's where the speeder bike sequence happens is you're chasing Bode on the speeder bikes um, as the empire is closing in on the base, um, and, uh, you know, leads to this moment where, you know, Cal, 
like knocks Bode off his bike, but Bode's got his jetpack, and Cal jumps up into the air and knocks him down, and they're on this like plateau or whatever. Um, and uh, you re- it's revealed that not only is Bode a traitor, but he's a former Jedi as well. And you know, he, he force pushes Cal and pulls a lightsaber out, and like you have this brief fight. Um, that ends with Bode, you know, knocking Cal down off this high ledge and then, you know, escaping in his fighter. Um, and we can kind of just talk about all that before we get to then the the stuff that happens even after that. Um, but man, just what a, like I said, what a, like, you know, sort of beautiful emotional moment between all these characters that is then suddenly undercut by this betrayal that I did not see coming. I know some people did, you know, there were some people that like didn't trust Bode from the beginning. And I can certainly understand maybe being a little skeptical of him at first, but I really feel like they did a good job with the misdirect there of like making you trust him more and more as the game goes on. Like, um, you know, really feeling that sort of, empathy for him as he's talking about his daughter and losing his wife and, you know, sort of just wanting to keep his daughter safe and like giving Cal a blaster for the first time. Um, and, you know, encouraging him to pursue this, this relationship with Marin. Maybe it's just because that's also what I wanted to happen. And so like, I was like, Bode had me there. So I completely was blindsided by this. Um, that just, you know, I, I was I was shocked and waiting to find out more about why and sort of what his motivations were um, that, you know, they really add some some interesting layers to um, over the last few hours of the game and even afterwards, too. So, um, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, I don't know about you, but I did not see that coming at all. No, I didn't see it coming either, and it, it was a great twist. I mean, but that sequence was just really fun uh, to play through, at least on the speeder bike chase. I mean, we saw that moment in the trailer, and that was the only part where you got to fling a scout trooper into a TIE fighter, but <laughs> still, the rest of it was just fun, making your speeding your way through Jetta, trying to chase down Bode. But yeah, I mean, it was just a great twist and reveal, showing that Bode was a traitor and was going to take the compass for himself that he was working for the empire but then you throw in the layer that he was a jedi also that was just wow like almost like icing on the cake as far as good twists and reveals go because i did not didn't think he was a traitor but then no way they ever saw that think that he was a jedi as well it even obviously caught cal off guard saying like why couldn't i sense him but yeah just getting that reveal and as you talked about earlier knowing that the title of the game jedi survivor is just much more than just referring to Cal and then before Dagan, but now obviously it really refers a lot to Bo too. Um, so yeah, that was just did not see that twist coming, but it just again elevated the story in this game to another level because it, it didn't seem like a cheap twist or just a thing to throw in for a shock value, it just made total sense and how it, it did play out, even though you're surprised when you look back on certain things, it's like, oh, yeah, it does make sense that. Uh, why he would do this and earn your trust. Uh, and you throw the element of he's doing this all for his daughter to protect her and having to work for the Empire. And you find out more about uh, Bode and how he went about doing this after you beat the game and you revisit other locations and you do mm-hmm. uh, the Force Echoes in certain areas and you hear you re- get to hear conversations Bode would, Bo would have with different members of uh, the Empire and especially in the ISB. Uh, and just adding just why he was doing what he did. But yeah, it was just a great reveal. And again, having him be 
the main antagonist of the game. That's where you thought, okay, so this is where the story is going to. We moved on from Dagan. Obviously, he was kind of a placeholder uh, until we get to the main real antagonist of the game, which is Bode, and then kind of knew from there that he would eventually be the final boss encounter that you would get to. But yeah, when I played that sequence, I was like, like just blown away by how by the twist and just not expecting it at all. And then seeing this is the direction the game was going to, and just got me more excited to play through. It was like one of those moments where I played a lot of it when I got to that point and it was kind of hard to turn off, especially what comes next. Uh, so I'm glad I didn't turn it off right after that big reveal, because what happens later is just um, beyond cool. So, but yeah, at this moment in particular right here, I was just uh, really impressed by, um, the way they delivered this twist in the story and where I didn't see it coming either, but it just made total sense. And I just think elevated the story, which I was already, already enjoying, but then just thinking, okay, yeah, this is just a great Star Wars story that we're, that's being told to us right now in this game. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things that just kind of gets better too as you realize how many, just the, the layers and the depth to Bode's character and his motivations and sort of what went into this betrayal. Because I'll be honest, for me, there were there were aspects of it that didn't sort of ring true for me right off the bat, um, both sort of in this scene and then sort of the ending as well. Because first, I mean, just like the the twist was great of just him being a traitor. And I was just like, you know, and then just sort of the, the rush of like, you know, being on the speeder bikes and going after him and stuff. And I was really anxious to just find out like what is going on? Why is he doing this? Um and I was like, if if he was just an Imperial spy, that would be one thing. But then to find out he was also a Jedi, at first I was like, mm, really? Like another Jedi survivor? Like, it kind of just felt like there was a lot being thrown at you all at once. Um, and then also his motivation of like, I think even in that first fight, he says something about, um, you know, he's taking the, the compass to Tantalor and... Cal was like, you know, we fought for that together and you're just going to give it to the Empire. And he's like, no, it's it's not for the Empire. Like, I'm keeping this for me. Um, but basically, like, I think the turning point for him was when Cal invited Seer and everybody to come with them. And he was like, he basically wanted it to be just him and his daughter and like Cal and Marin or something. Um, which, again, that was one thing that at first to me, I was like, mm, I don't know, like, it's a whole planet. Like, why, why would you want to live there with like four people? And why would having the path and the anchorites there be such a big problem for you? Um, but then when you realize more of his, his motivations later, and we'll kind of get more into this, but essentially, you know, just him being with him being a Jedi who was also on the run and the empire killed his wife looking for him. And now he's doing anything he can to keep his daughter safe, including working for the empire and just making himself useful. Um, and he wants to, you know, get away from all that. And he's like, you know, if, if, and I think he he genuinely does like Cal and like have a bond for you know they they have like a, a genuine yeah. bond and a friendship there and he doesn't want to betray him, um, but basically he sees it as like I I gotta protect my daughter over everything else and he's thinking that like the more imperial fugitives we have on Tantalor the more likely it is that the Empire is going to come looking for one of them and find all of us. Um, and so, you know, that moment when Cal was like, Hey, let's move this whole path and the anchorites and the archives and everything to Tantalor, Bode was like, I can't do that. Like that's putting my daughter at risk too much. Um, and again, that was one of those things that like, wasn't, at least to me, wasn't like immediately apparent, but just as more of the conversations and stuff happened throughout the game. And then also, like you said, finding 
some of those additional force echoes and stuff after the fact. It's just, and the more that like maybe some things just didn't quite hit for me like right off the bat, but then even just thinking about, you know, just sitting and thinking about it in like the days after I played the game and kind of connecting the dots and going like, oh, that maybe didn't play out the way I expected, but like the context is there that it does actually make sense. Um, I really came to just like it more and more. And as much as I sort of felt, you know, defeated and betrayed and like angry at Bode as a character, I also really appreciate, like, I, I really like what they did with this character. And it's such a great, again, sort of, like I said, in an even more sort of grounded and relatable way than Dagon, it's a great mirror to Cal of like, what this obsession can do to you. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's very Anakin like in a way too. Where, like, Anakin never planned to, like, become a Sith Lord and murder kids and stuff. Like, everything he did, he did, to, at least in Revenge of the Sith, you know, at least initially, everything he wanted to do was just to try to protect Padme. And he saw it as doing the right thing. But, you know, it's like, at what point do you cross that line of, like, doing, you know, terrible things for what you see as the right reasons? Um and that's, you know, kind of what happens with Bode here. And it's like, he doesn't even, I, I like, I like sort of the, the lines of morality in this because like, it's not like he's turned to the dark side. It's not like he's become a Sith, but he's betrayed his friends and, you know, caused the deaths of, you know, a lot of people um, just to, you know, protect, you know, protect his daughter and do what he sees as the right thing, which, you know, it's like, clearly he's going too far, but um like it's an understandable choice at the same time. I love when like Cal confronts him later when he goes to uh, the ISB base on uh, Nova Garon, um, which is where, uh, you know, they were keeping his daughter and, you know, they, they have a confrontation there. And like, as they're talking about more of this stuff and Bode is kind of confessing, like, you know, telling him more of his, his past and his situation. Um, and Cal says like, you're a monster. And Bode says, no, I'm a father. Um and it's just, it's so good because again, like we all know he's doing the wrong thing. And like, we would like to think that like none of us would do that, but also like if it's your kid versus everybody else, I think it's like part of that is relatable. You know, it's like, you can mm -hmm. understand why somebody would feel that way. So um, like as much as I, I feel, you know, angry towards him, it's like, I get it. And I just, you know, it's such a, a well done, you know, twist and character there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I really dug it too, as I mentioned, and just definitely see why when we're talking about how the story of Dagon and him being the main antagonist felt, you know, they didn't do as much as they could. Doesn't feel like such a letdown anymore once you get this reveal about Bode and knowing the true motivations for the true antagonist of this game. Um, just, yeah, it just made it just an overall experience as far as Dagon was just a placeholder until he got this reveal for Bode being the main antagonist, and it was something that uh, just enriches the story even even more so. So, yeah, just yeah. a great great motivation for an antagonist, a different type of motivation for an antagonist in a Star Wars game to have. So, which was refreshing to experience. Now, one thing that I wish they had made a little bit more explicitly clear is in this first fight with um bode well i guess in in both of the fights you have with them but like he pulls out a red lightsaber and it's dagon's lightsaber um which oh, see, i didn't even realize that <laughs> yeah so you you really can't tell until the end of, and i know i'm jumping ahead a little bit here but like when cal defeats him um in the second fight and then he 
there's a scene where Cal like takes the lightsaber and like lays it on Bode's chest. Um, and it's the same lightsaber hilt that Dagon had, but I didn't even realize that at first after, until after like rewatching some scenes on YouTube a couple of times, um, and like watching Allison play the beginning of the game and seeing the, that first scene with Dagon again. And then, you know, seeing that ending scene where Cal, you know, lays the, the lightsaber on Bode's chest. It's like, oh yeah, that's Dagon's lightsaber. Um, and again, you know, I love that there's like layers to like oh okay all these times throughout the game where you thought bode was on your side like you know and then going back and seeing the little moments where he was doing things to kind of undermine you like we don't realize at what point he actually takes dagon's lightsaber but just knowing that um you know that cal defeats him and the whole time too like i was i was afraid for bode's safety like i kept thinking he was gonna die yeah. Um, especially because in that final fight with he teams up with you to fight him and there's some moments where you know um you know where Dagon's like got you know he's holding him with the force or boat is like shooting at him and you're worried that like you know Dagon's gonna block a bolt back and kill him or something like that um and so I was just so relieved that he made it out of that alive at the time you know thinking that he was a, a friend and a good character um I'll have to actually go back and watch and like I wonder if you can actually maybe see the moment where he takes the lightsaber or something but um again that was something that you know they could have maybe made a little bit more explicitly clear to kind of you know tie that together but um because also like when he reveals that he's he's a Jedi but then he pulls out a red lightsaber I was like wait so like is he an inquisitor or like did he like was he a Jedi and he still had his lightsaber and then he just decided to make the blade red because he's a bad guy now and he's a traitor or like, you know, that was a little bit confusing to me at first. And if they had made it clear right off the bat that like he took Dagon's lightsaber, I think that would have been um, kind of made that, you know, made that moment even better. Um, but of course, while that while all that is going on, um you know, just sort of going back to that first betrayal, like Cal chases him out of the base, you know, they have that fight, Cal gets knocked out. And then, um, you know, you, you go to the screen where like that, it, the same screen that plays when you die, where you just press the button to respawn and you respawn as seer. And, you know, there's this awesome sequence where you actually get to control seer and play as her back at the base, defending against, you know, these waves of Imperial troops coming after you. Um, and she's just super powerful, kicking butt, like, and because the whole game, I mean, she's kind of just been there, you know, taking care of uh, her archive and the anchorites and everything. You never really get to see her in action in this game um, until this point. And in the first game, obviously, like, you know, she had cut herself off from the force and she kind of embraces it again at the end and like uses Trilla's lightsaber. And it's, you know, you get the sense that it's kind of the first time in a while that she has, um you know, wielded a lightsaber or opened herself up to the force again. And so it's kind of unclear, like how powerful of a Jedi she really is. But in this game, you see like, she's back to full strength. Like she's going yeah. full Jedi master on, on these stormtroopers and ATSTs. And, you know, she's teaming up with Marin and they're defending the base and everything. Um, just a, a really satisfying moment, get, getting to, you know, play as her and, uh, you know, just get to do all this cool action. And then, uh, like I said, it culminates with this moment. You're inside the hangar, and she like pulls down a chunk of the ceiling to crush two ATSTs, and uh, you know keep the Empire from getting inside the base. And then, um, 
you know, she tells Marin, like, hey, you know, finish getting everybody else out safely. I'm going to take BD and go to the archive and get those. I think it's the, the same codes that Cal got from the Anchorite earlier, like the hidden path contact codes. They're trying to keep those out of the hands of the Empire. Um, so she and BD go to the archive to get that. And she she secures it on a data disk. She inserts it into BD and she says, you know, go, I'll meet you back at the rendezvous point or whatever. And uh, BD runs off. And then... She turns to face the door as you hear something or someone about to come through. And at this point, I'm wondering, like, is this just going to be more stormtroopers? Is it inquisitors? Is it, um, well, I guess we could, uh, there's something else, uh, another surprise character appearance in the game that I don't know if we want to spoil because I'm sure a lot of people haven't gotten to it yet. Um, but as a tease, it's something related to the, the side quest chain of the bounty hunter missions. And unfortunately, that was one thing that I had spoiled for me before I got to play it in the game from uh, from a, a YouTube clip or not. Like I didn't watch the clip. It was one of those things that showed up in like my recommended suggestions on YouTube was like, well, you know, you know how I found out about it was during the credits and the cast list. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw you say something. I, I saw you post that on Twitter and I don't think I watched maybe didn't watch that much of the credits or just didn't see that name in there. But like, I knew that there was going to be a certain character appearance in the game who oh, like, wait, surprisingly doesn't actually show up in the main story. Yeah. It's, it's part of a, a side quest thing. But I was like, is that the part where this character shows up or is it inquisitors or is it something else? No, it's Darth Vader. And you would think that after already having a Vader moment in the first game that, you know, maybe, um, maybe they would have thought it would be too obvious or, or redundant or something like I wasn't I think I wasn't expecting Vader to show up again in this one because he already showed up in the first one mm -hmm. and because I wasn't expecting that like that was what made it such a perfect surprise like because it would totally make sense that if you're going after uh, a Jedi archive and you've got the location of a Jedi master that Vader's already got a grudge with because you know she kind of not beat him but like held him off in the first game um, that he would come looking for her again, but he wasn't even on my radar. And when those doors opened and Vader walked through, I was like, oh shoot, like I was losing my mind. Um, and just what follows between him and Seer is um, my favorite video game boss fight of all time. Um, definitely my favorite boss fight in a Star Wars game. And Honestly, probably one of my top 10 favorite lightsaber duels in all of Star Wars. Like, this was just an incredible moment and an incredible follow-up to the first game where, you know, Vader shows up and he's just this big, intimidating, like, unstoppable force. Um, flings Seer off to the side. You can try to fight him as Cal, but you get, like, two hits in until the gameplay just becomes, you know, run for your life and survive. Um you know, he's, he's not a defeatable boss. And, you know, like I said, the story ends with like Seer comes back in and manages to hold him off long enough for just, you know, her and Cal to escape. Um, so for, for him to come back again and for you to get to play as Seer at sort of the height of her Jedi powers and actually, you know, have a face off against him in and just the scenery around it was really cool too. Just, you know, yeah. in this Jedi archive, it's burning all around you. And Seer activates this switch where the floor kind of like sinks down. So it creates almost this arena, um, you know, just so, so, you know, neither of them can escape from it, but it's like, you know, you're, you're fighting in almost this underground arena with this like Jedi library burning around you. 
um, and just <laughs> a, a powerful Jedi master and Darth Vader at the height of his powers, just going toe to toe. And um, I mean, it was, it was terrifying. It was menacing. It was everything you want Vader to be. Um, and getting to feel, you know, powerful as Seer and like you're holding your own, but also knowing that like, there's no way that this is going to end well for her. Like she can't defeat Vader. Um, but I don't know about you, Tim. This is also one of the hardest video game boss fights I've ever played. Like I died a lot. I had to play this over so many times, but at the same time, like it felt like it was, it was borderline on getting frustrating but it was also so satisfying because it's like this is how it should feel fighting darth vader like you know it was like i don't want that fight to be too easy um and so yeah it was just oh so cool so fun so satisfying such a huge surprise which again like with the fact that he already showed up in the first game i'm kind of surprised that i was as surprised as i was um but uh, like Honestly, I think it topped the moment from the first game, which is hard to do because that, you know, his moment in the first game was just so, you know, it was just such a, it's one of the great Vader moments in Star Wars. Um, and already just one of the coolest moments in a Star Wars video game. And I thought that this moment was just topped it even more. Um, the fact that, the fact that you actually get to play him uh, or to to fight against him and, and have an actual like full on boss fight. And the fact that he's so hard to beat that his just the way he fights and everything is so sort of just powerful and menacing. Um, you really feel like you're on the ropes and like fighting for your life the entire time. But it's like so satisfying when you do beat him. Um, but even just the, the cutscenes and the cinematics and the parts where, you know, you see them like trading blows and kind of trading jabs and quipping at each other and Seer saying like, oh, you know, I, I was hoping that, you know, you drowned in your base when we, you know, faced off last time and stuff. Um, you know, it was just that whole sequence was so great. The dialogue was great, but the especially the choreography in the cutscenes, as you know, because yeah. once you get like a few hits in on them, then it, it cuts to like a, a pre you know animated um you know cutscenes of like some of the fight and just some of that lightsaber action is just some incredible stuff um and then there's a moment like halfway through where uh you know vader's got seer like pinned up against one of the the bookshelves or whatever in the archive but like she manages to get away and get some distance and then uses the force to like pull the whole thing down on him and just crushes him in this burning rubble and it's kind of like the moment from Rebels where, you know, they they crash the walker down on him and then he just lifts it out um, or lifts it up and comes out from under it. But instead of like doing sort of the, the slow raise up, he just kind of bursts out of it, like explodes all this burning debris off of him. And he's just standing there like burning. Um, yeah, great They're visual. just like, <laughs> like, I don't know, man, like there's nothing cooler than like Darth Vader and fire. Right. Um, you know, you think about like the scene in Obi-Wan where like they have mm -hmm. their first fight in that third episode where, you know, he's he's dragging Obi-Wan through the fire and you see the flames reflected in the helmet. And so this moment where like half of his cape is burned away and there's just like smoldering embers on his armor and he's, you know, just raises out of it like clearly like, you know, burned by this fire, but like seems no less powerful or you know it's like he, she hasn't slowed him down a beat in fact like the second half of that fight after that part is even harder it's like you just pissed him off and now he's because i kept getting to points where i would get to that part 
and he comes back out of the fire and then you have to play the rest of the fight. And he would kill me in like three hits after that. <laughs> like he's just, he comes back with a vengeance and it, you know, it just makes the second half of that fight so hard, but it was just, it's so freaking cool and so well done. And like I said, I didn't think they could top the Vader moment from the first game, especially with another Vader moment, but they absolutely did. Yeah. I mean, I mean, full disclosure, I'll say this right now, regards to the difficulty of the game of the boss battles. I did play it on uh story focus mode. So feel free to judge me all you want, but I had to do it just to make sure I could experience the story in two weeks time. So I wanted to make sure uh, I I got through it and probably thankfully I did because knowing how slow I am with completing video games, um, it's always some really difficult boss battle. Like, I don't know if I would have beaten in time. So if, but it didn't take away from any of the fun I had with it. That's for sure. So I didn't experience the same difficulty that you did with Vader, but at the same time, if I did, it would make total sense. Like you said, I mean, Vader, you wouldn't mind facing off against Vader multiple times, showing just how what a difficult boss battle he would be. Um, but regardless, even though um, I beat him quite easily since it was on story focus mode, it didn't lessen the impact of just what a great moment that was. And just right at the moment he entered when he bust through that door, it was like, because I was in the same boat as you, Kyle. I did not think Vader was going to be in this. He already had his great moment in, in the finale of the first game, so they probably wouldn't want to repeat that. But I don't know. As we're in that moment, the cutscene's playing, you knew someone was going to come through that door. Literally, I would say, like, just a second before it shows up, just a part of me thought, what if? What if it is Vader? And then sure enough, that one second later, it's him. And I was like, oh, yes, this is awesome. Because... Like you mentioned, it would make total sense for an important mission like this where like the records of the Jedi Order are here. Vader would be someone to lead that mission and for him to see it through. So that was just great. Even though I wasn't expecting it, man, what an awesome surprise to get. Um, it would have been, been cool if it was a cutscene, but the fact that you actually got to fight him in a boss battle, it was fantastic. And as you mentioned, the little cutscenes that would happen um, in between a certain point where you'd lower his health bar, it was just amazing to see unfold. Just an incredible sequence, not only to watch, but to play through as well. And just for some great moments too, especially then it did that thing where it kind of teases you where it looks like Seer, um, you knew she wasn't going to defeat him, obviously, but it looks like she did get a good blow in there. But it turns, in fact, she didn't, and Vader's the one that struck the killing blow uh, to her. So just even kind of the direction and the choreography, how the fight was, and just having that one last bit to where just kind of makes you think maybe Seer uh, would at least damage Vader to make her escape. But um, you kind of had the feeling as the fight was progressing that this was probably going to be it for Seer, because how often does someone survive an encounter with vader twice yeah um, exactly and it would be kind of uh like the proper send-off for her character uh to go down like, fighting uh and you know standing on her own against someone like vader so but yeah it was great and just um correct me if i'm wrong was there any dialogue after that moment after he kills here does he just get up and walk away because i want to say he just gets up and walks away he does and here's the thing that i don't know if you realize but um because i didn't even notice this until i saw somebody post it like in the comments of a video i was watching where again i was you know like re-watching this part after i had played it um 
Because what happens is, yeah, you know, in, in sort of like the final cinematic, she like pushes him against the wall and then she does this like flying lunge where, yeah, you're right. You think like, oh, is she about to stab Vader? And she kind of gets him through the side, but also he, like as she's coming at him, he stabs her like right through the torso. Um, and so then she staggers back and she's, you know, dying and Vader's like, you know, injured, but he he gets up and kind of limps away. Um and as he's leaving, um, Cal comes in and, you know, catches Seer as she's falling and, you know, she's she's dying. And uh, she just, you know, she kind of looks up and she says Cal's name and then she says Trilla. And that's like her final word and she dies. Um, but as you're seeing this, it's like the archive is still burning around them. And then like the screen kind of starts distorting and then like as she dies it fades to where like suddenly the flames are gone and it's all ashes and it looks like it's been burned for a while and so what this guy pointed out was that like um because also it, cal seems to get in there pretty quick like just as vader is yeah. leaving it's like how would he not have seen vader or at least like sensed him and even though he's maybe more concerned with seer it's like cal could have maybe gone and finished him off because vader was at least kind of injured from that fight um but I think what happened is Cal actually gets there like not long after, but like Sears dead by the time he gets there and Vader's long gone and the archive has burned down and everything that you've just seen, like the, the whole sequence where you're playing as Seer, like defending the base and then up to the Vader fight and everything is all Cal experiencing her memories through a force echo. Ah. Um, and, and kind of experiencing a flashback huh. to find out what happened up to that point that he missed while he was off chasing after Bode. So Huh. Um, that's pretty yeah. cool actually he didn't really yeah. think about that or realize it but that makes total sense and I like that a lot actually <laughs> yeah that's a really cool way for them to do that um, and again it's like I mean they maybe maybe could have made that a little bit more clear because I know like every I've, I've mentioned that to a couple people now that we're all like whoa I never realized that um, but it's one of those things where it's like even if you don't realize it like it still makes sense and it's not like you know super confusing otherwise but it's just like once you realize that that's happening it just adds even more kind of depth and just tragedy to the story because it looks like she dies in his arms and she you know looks up at him and says his name one more time but it's like no he's just experiencing all that as memories and you know to think that he just got there and like found her dead body um and had to you know reach into the force to like even find out what had happened and then you know experience all that through her eyes is um you know just makes it all the more tragic but also makes it a really cool explanation for the the gameplay mechanic and like why it works that you get to just jump into sears shoes and play as her for a while so um yeah i mean that that entire sequence like the fight was incredible the vader fight but really that whole sequence of yeah. like, playing as seer and getting to defend the base and everything was just one of the absolute highlights of the game i'd say th that whole sequence and especially the vader fight that's my favorite part of the game the the jumping through the the portals and stuff with Marin, that's number two um yeah i mean you can't go wrong with both i mean from a story-wise perspective yeah this one is probably the best you get to play a seer you face off against vader but I just you rarely experience that type of gameplay though in the portal section though. That's why it just stands yeah. out so much for me as like being my favorite, but just just a little bit more than this entire series because this was awesome. Because as you said, even just in the beginning of it, defending the entrance to uh the temple there, just fighting off ways and ways of stormtroopers as Seer with her combat moves, just a little bit more advanced than Cal was just a whole lot of fun uh to mm -hmm. play through. So yeah, just all around just 
another incredible sequence in the game that had uh, several of them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then, you know, from there, they, uh, you know, um, it, it's basically just Cal and Seer and Grease, or sorry, not Seer, Cal and Marin <laughs> and Grease, um, you know, regrouping, and they've got uh, Seer and Cordova's bodies, and, um, you know, trying to figure out, like, where to go from here. Like, Bode has now got away with the compass, and that's their own, only way to Tantalor. Um, but they uh, they realize that, like, they've got a tracking beacon because he he had, like, a locator beacon that he had one, and he gave the other one to Cal. And this was, like, back at the beginning of the game. And that's how he met up with Cal on Kobo after the end of their mission on Coruscant. And so Cal is like, well, let's see if his is still active. And uh, sure enough, it is. And that's what leads them to Nova Garon, which is this, uh, you know, asteroid, um, you know, facility where the ISB has a base there. Um, and so you go and, you know, infiltrate the ISB base and you realize that, again, you, you kind of just play through this and learn more of like how this all went down. There was this ISB commander who, um, you know, was was using Bode as an agent. And uh, again, Bode had like... You know, his wife had been killed by an Inquisitor and um, basically rather than keep running from the Empire, he realized they were going to catch up to him eventually. So he went to them, specifically to the ISB and said, hey, it basically made a deal with them. He's like, hey, you keep, you know, Vader and the Inquisitors off my back and keep my daughter safe. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll basically do whatever you want. I just, you know, make myself useful to you. Because also you find out because, you know, he's a little bit older than Cal. So he probably was already a Jedi Knight during the Clone Wars. And he talks about how some of the council or like the council had sent certain Jedi off to work in intelligence. Um, and so Bode was was one of those Jedi. And so he had intelligence training and that was uh, part of how he survived in the first place and managed to you know be able to make himself disappear and stay off the radar when Order 66 went down. Um, and you find out through the some of the, the echoes and stuff that you find in the game later that like um the the isb commander that he's working with actually was an officer that he worked with in the clone wars and so that's why he had come back to that guy specifically um you know and made this deal with him um but you know you you confront him again you know you meet his daughter kata and uh you know he he kind of tells you his whole story um but again realizing that like yeah, he didn't necessarily want to do what he did, but at the end of the day, he's going to do what he feels is necessary to keep his daughter safe. Um, and he kind of like, you know, he, he refuses to hand over the compass to Tantalor and he kind of like attacks Cal and runs out of there. And as Cal goes running after him, they uh, introduce this new gameplay mechanic where Cal gives into the dark side. And there's a moment where, you know, Bode kind of, alerts the base and sends all these troopers after you to cover his escape as he's getting away. And your, your force slow ability that you've had the whole game that just kind of freezes all the enemies around you now, it still does that, but also sends Cal into this dark rage where it's like the edges of the screen turn red and all your attacks become super powerful and you're just like slaughtering all these troopers. Um, and it's like, Man, it's it's just crazy to see, you know, going into just these last, I don't know, couple hours of the game and seeing Cal start slipping into the dark side. And it's something that's not really resolved by the end of the game either. You have mm -hmm. a moment as you're as you're escaping from Nova Garon where you're confronted by the uh, the ISB officer again after Bode escapes. And um, 
Cal, you know, starts force choking him. He's like, you know, Bode's gone. And he realizes that this guy is responsible for uh, Sears' death, for Cordova's death, for, you know, everything that happened on Jetta. And he's like, I'm going to make him pay for it and sort of take out my rage on him. Um, and starts, you know, basically force choking the guy. And Marin stops him. And, uh, you know, I, I love her, her. You know, she has a line where she says, like, uh, you know, we've already lost so much. Like the empire has taken so much from us already. Like I will not lose you too. And it's not even like a pleading, like Cal, please don't do this. It's just like, no, I refuse. Like, I am not going to let you, you know, fall and give into this. Um, and Cal kind of snaps out of it and he's like, no, you're right. Like you, you won't lose me. And he doesn't kill the guy. Um, but then for the whole rest of the game, he still has that dark side power. In fact, then when you go to Tantalor and have your final fight with Bode, um, there's a section where it requires you to use it. Um, it's funny when it got to that moment where it, like it says to press those, the two trigger buttons. I didn't do it to see, oh, is there like an alternative to kind of defeat him using the light side or not giving it to the dark side? But no, it just goes to the game over screen. Yep, and <laughs> I, I did the... I did the exact same thing there. Yeah. It's like Bode gets on top of you and starts punching you. And it's like with every punch, the screen gets darker and darker until it just fades to black. And it just gives you that prompt to hit those buttons and, and give into the dark side. And I, yeah, I was like, Oh, this is a test. Like yeah. <laughs> maybe there's even two alternate endings where like you can give into the dark side or you can, you know, you can wait for the light side option and maybe like Marin's going to come in and get him off of you or some other solution will present itself, but no, you just die and have to start the whole fight over again, which was brutal. Cause also that last fight was really hard too. I played the game on Jedi night mode, um, which is just sort of the normal difficulty. And I feel like, um, I don't know. Cause on, on fallen order, like I'm so used to it now. Cause I've played it, you know, like five or six times or whatever. So I'm just used to like the, the boss mechanics and stuff in that game. Um, but it definitely feels to me like survivor was a little bit harder than fallen order was, yeah. especially some of the boss fights. Um, cause I'm like, man, I do not remember struggling this much on normal mode, but also, like I said, it's been a while since the first time I played fallen order. So I don't remember. And I know I, at first I played it on normal mode, like, I think my first couple of playthroughs and then I tried it on Jedi master mode, um, which now on fallen order is just kind of my default. Like the last three or four times I've played it, I've, I've played it on master mode because I did that just kind of for a challenge at first. And then it was like, okay, now I'm used to this and anything easier feels, you know, too easy. Um, and I kind of enjoy a little bit of a challenge. I've never played it on grandmaster mode because like, there's no achievement for it or anything. So I'm like, well, why would I punish myself and play it on the absolute <laughs> yeah. hardest difficulty unless there's a trophy or something for it. Um, but yeah, just playing, um, playing survivor on normal mode. I mean, there were, you know, a lot of parts, you know, just when you're fighting stormtroopers and battle droids and stuff where it felt, uh, you know, just like a normal difficulty you would expect to, um, or, you know, it was even kind of easy at some points, but there were definitely some boss fights and stuff where I was like, man, I don't remember stuff on normal mode in Jedi Fallen Order being this hard. Like there were definitely some tough moments. The Vader fight was definitely one of them. And then also that final fight against Bode was, was pretty dang hard. Um, so yeah, I am glad I did it on the story focus mode then <laughs> just for the time frame I had to beat it on. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, with both of those last two boss fights, I mean, it probably took me at least 30 or 40 minutes um, with all the times I had to restart and stuff. But yeah, so I mean, it, so that sucked that I just like sat there and didn't press the buttons and then had to start that fight <laughs> over again. Um, 
but yeah, I was like, I thought that the whole point was for it to, uh, for you to not go to the dark side and the fact that they make you do that. And then even after you beat the game, as you're continuing to run around and play, um, you know, you still have that option for that dark side power. And that was one thing that like, and I know we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but like with the way that the game ends, I was kind of hoping that that would be resolved. Um, Cause you, know, you, you get a couple of moments of resolution, that moment with Marin and the, the commander where, you know, Cal is like threatening to kill him. And then Marin talks some sense into him and he stands down and doesn't kill the guy. And then um, there's even a, a part at the end where, um he's like you know they're having a, a funeral pyre for um for bode and seer and cordova and uh cal is like talking to seer and he says like i almost lost myself and says almost as if he you know was teetering on the edge of the dark side and then came back um but like again he still has that dark side power and i'm like we, we never really got any resolution to this which at the at first left me kind of feeling like hmm like sort of unsatisfied and then i realized like oh but there's a lot they could do with that in the third game like i'm sure that was intentional yeah and that's uh that's just something that we'll get you know more of later down the line um but yeah it was it was a really cool mechanic and a really cool way to kind of like you know mess with the just the morality of it and kind of get in your head as a player because it's i mean cal especially like there are some star wars games where it's fun to play with the dark side right like force unleashed you know it's all about like the force lightning and the big force powers and you're you know you start off as a dark side user who then kind of uh turns to the light like over the course of the game um but the whole premise of it is just that it's fun to, you know, do these big outrageous things and kill people with these force powers and stuff, or even like Knights of the Old Republic, where you can decide to do a dark side playthrough and be like, oh, I want to kind of experience what it would be like to play as a Sith Lord and, uh, you know, get to, to use all these dark side powers and stuff. But I feel like Cal is such a like good hearted character. And especially, I mean, for me, like, I feel so much empathy for him just because he's like, you know, been through so much at such a young age and, you know, had to just suffered through so much and he's lost so many friends and people around him and um yet still is just such a sort of hopeful and optimistic character who like wants to do good and wants to protect the people around him and i just like i want to see him succeed and i want good things for him and i want him to you know to to be the good jedi that he's trying to be and to like to, for me to have to be the one to press the buttons to make him go to the dark side i'm like i don't want to do this like it really was <laughs> conflicting but it was really just a, a really well done um element of the game so um yeah it was just it was really cool and again to kind of see to see Bo be that extreme of like doing bad things for what you see as the right reasons or what you see as you know sort of justifiable means and then to see cal kind of start slipping down that same path and it's just like no don't do this um so yeah it was that was that was tough but it was really cool and i mean let's be real it was fun playing in that dark side mode and just getting it to is, yeah. you know cut down all those troopers like as a video game mechanic and just getting to swing a lightsaber around it's really fun i just wish it wasn't happening to cal kestis <laughs> especially fun when you, when you do more of the bounty missions and how you still get to do have that pretty much for the rest of the game as you're after you beat it it's at your disposal for whatever yeah. it's ready to use so it does come in handy and i'll um, be honest like i try to not use it as much as possible but there are some of those bounty hunters that are really annoying that i'm like you know what screw this i'm gonna go dark side and just get this fight over with yeah <laughs> yeah 
didn't have much of an issue using it. So yeah, using a blaster as a Jedi, no way. But the dark side, yeah, I'll, I'll use that. <laughs> <laughs> and see, I'm the opposite. I'll use the blaster, but I'm like, no, I'm not going full dark side force powers here. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I just wonder, like you said, it's in, definitely think it's intentional where they ended it like that, where I really think it's going to be something that's going to be explored more in the third game, just Cal really probably struggling with that. And maybe some of your abilities that you get to use or learn could be, maybe it will lead in more towards like choose the light side or the dark side for the third game where you can have like force lightning abilities and force choke abilities that you can do in a third game. And just the whole point of it is Cal struggling with that. And maybe you don't get to choose the outcome. It'll have a set narrative like the first two do, does, but uh, over the course of the game, you struggle with that. And I just wondering too, is it, going to lead to a tragic end for Cal if he does succumb to that will he kind of realize that it's too late and he has to like sacrifice himself for some instance that he put him him and his friends through because of his actions with the dark side but then he comes out of it realizes what he did was a mistake but sacrifices himself to save him or will Marin have to take him down uh which would make it even more tragic but I don't know I kind of hope it ends more if, um it's going to be a trilogy where the third one has a kind of a definitive ending. I hope it's more on a positive one. Cause I would like mm -hmm. definitely like to see the character make it through this uh, point and see the empire fall. And who, who knows what could be in store for him, but whether it's meeting Luke eventually um, when he's starting his Jedi temple, or maybe he fully walks away from the Jedi path and just leaves a peaceful life with Marin down the line when the fight against the empire is over. So um, hopefully that's the way it goes, but I think it'll definitely be a struggle to get there in the third game. Cause I really think, like you said, the whole thing with using the dark side is just a lot of setup for what he's going to have to deal with in the third one. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with it, but I'm also a little bit scared because like you said, there definitely can be some negative consequences for that. Um, and I really, really just want I, I, like i really hope that the third game ends on a positive note and that uh you know at least some of these characters get a happy ending um and i just i just want the best for cal and Marin after like i said all that they've been through for you know both of them at such a young age being you know coming from different orders that both were you know slaughtered and having to watch that as kids and then you know find their way um surviving in a, a galaxy that's you know basically hunting them um, I, you know, and then of course in this game, like losing Seer and Cordova and being betrayed by Bode and everything, it's like, just, I'm sure they're going to, you know, face more hardships in the third game, but I hope that at the end of it, they get to, you know, have a little bit of peace and happiness. Um, but let's just, yeah, I mean, let's, let's, I mean, we've, we've kind of already touched on a lot of the points, but, um, let's go, you know, just right into the ending here where, um, you know, they you you confront Bode on uh, Nova Garon. He escapes. Um, you know, again, you have that confrontation with the officer, but you go back to Kobo, and uh, I think it's Z who, or maybe not, Z's not the one that tells you this, but you, oh, I think it's they find a um, another recording of Santari Creed that she left for Dagon, um, and it's in Bode's quarters. So maybe this is something else that he took from you know Dagon when he took his lightsaber or something like that, but. Um, it's like her final farewell message to, uh, to Dagon. Um, and she had told him like, if for whatever reason, like something happens to the compasses, there's a backup option where there's all these relays on Kobo that, and you've seen these throughout the game. They like shoot these giant lasers into space and you're like, what's that for? It looks kind of ominous, but they never really do anything. 
And then you realize, like, you know, she says you can aim all these arrays into the Cobalt Abyss and it will create a, a tunnel that, you know, you can travel through. Um, and so, you know, they go back to Kobo and they do that. They get Z to, uh, you know, stay behind and like align the relays. And uh, <laughs> this is where Grease kind of gets a moment to shine here at the end of the game, too, where like he's the one piloting the Mantis and flying through this nebula. And he gets um, kind of his like heroic, like being a great pilot moment, but also some really funny moments as well. Like there's a part where they're kind of explaining the plan and Grease is like, wait, hang on a second. You want me to like fly the mantis into this ship eating nebula through a tiny wormhole that's powered by 200 year old tech. And Cal's like, uh, yeah. And Grease is like, all right, I'm in. Um, (laughs) And uh, then, you know, so there's this really cool sequence as they're flying the ship through, you know, these like dark energy clouds and stuff. Um, And then the relays start running out of power. And so the tunnel's collapsing and they've got to like, divert all the power to the engines and uh you know grease is like oh that's too dangerous like you know you're, you're sacrificing safety for speed and cal's like yeah exactly like we're we're banking all on you like you're the best pilot and you know you can do this and grease is like yeah i can do this and you know believes in himself and guns the engines and you know flies through but it's still collapsing too fast and so um you know cal's like all right we got to make a blind hyperspace jump to get through you know the last stretch of this and of course at first grease is like what are you crazy and then he's like uh you know kind of mirroring the moment with Marin earlier where she says do you trust me you know cal says he's like do you trust me and grease is like yeah i trust you kid like do it and cal's got his hand on the lever to punch him into hyperspace and you hear like he's sort of meditating he's waiting for the right moment and then you hear sears voice say now and he he does it and punches it and they get through that last moment um and that was a really cool kind of, it, it was like straight out of a new hope with Obi-Wan telling Luke, you know, use the force Luke as he's flying mm-hmm. down the Death Star Trench. That was immediately what I thought of. So it was really great to have, um, you know, one more to sort of nudge from Seer right there. And then I love that like they jump through hyperspace and Grease just starts screaming and then they yeah. get through the tunnel safely and they come out of hyperspace on the other end and he's still just yelling. And then like Cal and Marin, like, and there's just this moment of passion, like they kiss again. And meanwhile, Grease is still sitting next to him, just like yelling. And Marin, it's like got her armor on Cal and she reaches out and just smacks Grease. And, um, you know, just this great fun little moment of uh, of levity in what is otherwise just kind of a really bleak ending with a lot of sad moments. Like it was great to have this, this fun action adventure beat with a lot of comedy and just some great character moments in there. Yeah, that was a great sequence. Part of me was wishing that, Kind of would have been like hoping that oh, can you actually play this and you're actually piloting the mantis? Through, yeah, that would the be nebula cool. to get to Tantalor, but it was still like a really awesome cutscene, like you said, to see uh, Grease maneuver the mantis like he did to get through it, and just have a lot of funny moments too, and just great moments too. I was like you said when uh, Cal put it into hyperspace to make it through just in time to get there. So yeah, that was an awesome cutscene to get to the final sequence of the game. Yeah, we had to settle for just uh, flying speeder bikes. We don't get to fly ships yet. Right. Um, hey, yeah, maybe in the third game, we'll get to pilot the Mantis. Who knows? Um, yeah, if it's intended to be the final one, then I would hope so, because it kind of would would be a shame not to pilot that awesome ship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was that was a really fun sequence. And then they get to Tantalor and... Um, you know, see, uh, I don't know. I keep saying here, Cal and Marin go out and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, there's not a whole lot to do on Tantalor. It's not a very big explorable area, but you get to this, uh, you know, the ancient Jedi temple that Kree and Dagon had built. 
Um, and of course they see Kata there and, uh, you know, they get her to take, take them to, uh, Bode, um, you know, to confront him one last time and try to get the compass back from him and stuff. And he's like, and I, I mean, I like how even after everything he's done, Cal is still like, look, if you just surrender, yeah. like, you know, we'll, we'll still take you in. Like Tantalor can still be a safe place for all of us, including you. Um, but you got to like lay down your weapons and he still is adamant. Like, no, like this is just for me and my daughter and nobody else. Like you had your chance. Um, and at the, I mean, at this point, it's clear that like the obsession has taken over him. He's kind of, again, not like gone to the dark side in the sense that you would think of like from the Star Wars movies of like becoming a Sith or whatever, but clearly like he's not thinking rationally. He's just being selfish and really is kind of consumed by the dark side in yeah, a way. And being reckless too, because some of the stuff he does puts his daughter in danger too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, you see like that's what the dark side does right like that's anakin mm -hmm. uh going to the dark side to save padme and then he ends up using the dark side to essentially kill padme um and i've yep. said this for years like i know everybody gets all up in arms about the whole like oh it's dumb that she you know just died of the will you know lost the will to live like i don't care what the droids say about you know her losing <laughs> the will to live she was eight and a half months pregnant on a lava planet you know with with extreme temperatures under extreme emotional distress that I'm sure would, you know, cause some negative physical effects on your body after, you know, watching the Republic crumble, watching a bunch of Jedi get slaughtered and finding out that your husband is at the center of it on the wrong side and that he's murdering kids. Um, and then he force chokes you and, you know, doesn't kill you all the way, but leaves you unconscious outside in this scorching heat while he then goes off and has a lightsaber duel with Obi-Wan. Like that to me is enough of a medical explanation for how she ended up dead. And that's on Anakin. So um, anyway, all that to say, you know, it, it's, you know, those moments where, um, where, you know, Bode like sort of puts Kata in danger. He doesn't actually end up hurting her or killing her or anything, thank goodness. But um, it's just kind of like Anakin, you know, going from doing these things intentionally to protect Padme to then falling down that slope of like her getting caught in the web too. And him, you know, now turning against her and, and putting her in danger when all of this initially was, you know, he was trying to save her. So um, just showing what a, a slippery slope that dark side is and how, you know, you think you're doing things for the right reasons. And then those lines that you're willing to cross, you know, you go further and further and the lines become more and more blurred. And next thing you know, you're hurting the, the very person that you set out to try to protect in the first place. So um, again, I thought it was a, a really well done sort of characterization of Bode and his slipping into that obsession. And then Cal, you know, again, showing like how sort of the, the pitfalls for Cal to be aware of, because um, thankfully we never see him like hurt Marin or anything in this game, but it's like, again, you're starting to see him slip down that same path a little bit. And then with Bode, you're seeing like where Cal could end up if he if he makes the wrong choices so um yeah you know it, they they have that final confrontation with him which turns into like i said another boss fight that was a pain in the butt but was you know really satisfying once you finally beat it um and uh and even the way the fight ends too where cal uh kills bode but you know bode's like you know he's got his two blasters and at one point cal like uses the force to like smash his blasters together um 
And then there's a moment where, you know, they, they kind of get the drop on each other and like Bode tries to shoot first, but like his blaster is damaged and it doesn't fire. And so then Cal pulls his blaster instead and shoots him. But it's right after this moment where Bode has been like force choking Marin, um, like while holding on to Cal and like, you know, Marin almost dies. Like he, he goes pretty far in strangling her and Cal is finally able to sort of break out of his grip and like hit him so that he, you know, he loses his focus and stops holding Marin. Um, and I think it's, it's right after that where they, they spin around and, you know, he, he tries to pull the blaster on him. Um, and it's like Bose doesn't fire and Cal has a moment where like he hesitates and he looks over at Marin and then he looks back at Bode and he shoots him and then he shoots him again to like make sure he's dead. And I think it was, cause again, in that moment, clearly like, he's unarmed he's still very much a danger and i think you know it's like um i don't know but it, it's like what's the line between killing him to protect marin and killing him because like out of anger for what he just did to marin you yeah. know like um like it's certainly understandable that you would want to make sure like hey i i just need to eliminate this threat like i don't want to kill this guy but you know, he's, he's forcing my hand here, but the fact that he like double taps him too, like to put him down and make sure that he's gone. And like in front of his daughter too, like, it was just one of those things where it's like, man, I get it. Like it kind of feels necessary, but this also feels like going a bit far here. And like, he's not doing it out of rage. It's not like when he was choking the officer, like he feels more sort of calm and in control. And yet it still is like something that a Jedi wouldn't do. Um, you know, I mean, even contrast it with like Obi-Wan shooting Grievous, right? Like Grievous is coming at Obi-Wan with a weapon and Obi-Wan shoots him because that's his last line of defense. Whereas Bode tries to shoot Cal and his gun misfires. It's like, he can't do anything at that point. Um, and Cal just is like standing over him with a blaster and, and executes him. Um, so it's very, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that he did the wrong thing there. It's just, there's a lot of gray morality here at the end yeah, of the game. It makes you think. <laughs> um, it definitely does make you think. And I think that's, you know, it, it was one of those things where like, it just kind of left me with this, this weird feeling where at first I was like, man, I don't know if I like this ending. And then I think it was just because I wasn't expecting it to be so bleak. And the more I thought about it and the more I thought about, you know, the, the characterizations and things, I was like, man, this actually was a brilliantly told story and um, some, especially some excellent character work and, you know, some really great character arcs and stuff. Um, and it is, you know, I, I love it. It's a fantastic story. It just leaves you feeling really sad. And that's why I'm like, I really hope that, uh, you know, whatever trials and hardships they're going to have to go through in the third game, I hope that, you know, especially if it's just going to be a trilogy and the third game is going to be the final game, I hope it ends on a happy note. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I couldn't really go either way <laughs> uh, at this point. But like I said, it's definitely going to be a struggle regardless of where where it ends at. But um, yeah, I have to watch that cutscene again because uh, as far as him delivering the final blow, I know obviously I remember it was after he uh, his bow's blasted didn't work, and then Cal shot him. But I don't remember like him looking at Marin, and then that's maybe what set it off. But that makes total sense. Yeah, that would kind of be the reason too. It's kind of all in one shot, but definitely there's a moment, and I don't even know if you you explicitly see Cal look at her, but like the camera kind of swings over to her. 
Mm. Um, and it is it, again. I I know this just because I've I've rewatched this several times now since playing it. But um, and it's maybe even something that I didn't catch on to the first time. But like rewatching it, it's like it's it's subtle, but it's definitely intentional. Like he looks at her before doing that. And again, I think it is like I shouldn't do this, but like it's sort. It's almost like um, like Bode you know, choosing Kata over everybody else and going like, oh, I don't want to mm. do this, but I got to choose between my daughter and, and everybody else. I'm going to pick her. And he's like, he's like, I shouldn't shoot somebody in cold blood, but he almost killed Marin. And like, I'm picking her over him. Um, it was kind of how, how it came across to me. So. Yeah, which um, it makes sense too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you can understand it. Yeah, for sure. Um. So, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, that's that's how the fight ends. And then, like I said, they have this, um, you know, really kind of touching, uh, you know, this funeral moment at the end where, um, you know, they have uh, funeral pyres for Bode and Seer and uh, Cordova. And, um, you know, Cal kind of has this last moment where, like, he's talking to Seer's funeral pyre and he's talking about how, like, you saved my life on Bracca and you taught me what it means to truly be a Jedi. And he talks about, you know, being scared of the future and not knowing what to do next. Um, and also, you know, it's kind of implied that like Cal and Marin are now going to be taking care of, of Bode's daughter and kind of continuing on um, sort of, you know, picking up what he was trying to do and doing it the right way. Um, because like, as you know, as, as much as he had hurt them and stuff, like they're not going to leave this innocent young girl without a, a family. And now she's kind of in the same predicament that they were. And they both talk about how, mm. like, you know, being not much older than her when they lost their families and stuff. And so um, now it's them kind of taking care of this girl that's like in the same position they were almost at her age. So, um, and Cal says something, you know, just when he's talking to Sierra about, um, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can protect her. Um, and you just, you see Seer appear one more time and just sort of as a force vision. I don't know if Cal even sees her, but I think it's just a way of sort of visualizing to the audience that like she's there with him through the force. Um, and she just says, uh, she says, guide her through the darkness. Um, and then, uh, you see Cal look down. It's like the, the sun rises and it's morning and the pyres have all burned out and he looks down at, um, Seer's lightsaber, um, still sitting there among the ashes. And then, he walks away and it, it just ends there and it goes to the credits. But then after the credits, there's a scene of, um, you know, Cal and Marin and uh, Grease and Kata, like getting back on the Mantis together um, and sort of, you know, being like, okay, you know, we're together now and we're going to take care of the kid and we're going off on our next adventure. So kind of on a ending on a bit more of a happy note, but you know, like after the credits and after sort of the, the heavy emotional gut punch. Um, but I was kind of curious, like with it, with the first part of it just ending on that shot of Sears lightsaber, I wonder if, um, if that was just sort of meant to be like a final reminder of her, or if that's maybe a hint at the future, like if, if they're going to take that lightsaber with them or something. Um, because one thing I thought about, I mean, obviously with Bode being force sensitive, it's like, is Kata going to end up being force sensitive too? Is she already force sensitive? Yeah. We just don't know. Um, that's so I was, that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wait, is that, is that lightsaber just, you know, are we seeing that just as a final reminder of Seer or are we seeing that because Kata is going to end up using that and like maybe Cal's going to have to teach his own Jedi Padawan in the next game. 
um, while also struggling with other cool struggling with his, yeah, like to have him teaching a Padawan while also struggling with his own darkness, just like Seer was doing with him in the first game. So, um, yeah, it would be a nice way to make it all come full circle. Yeah, I mean, I was talking about maybe it was going to be Cal struggling with the dark side for the server. Maybe it could come full circle with him training a Padawan um, throughout the course of the game, and that could be his arc for the third one that you'd uh, have to deal with not only his relationship with Marin, but his relationship with maybe training a young Padawan too, which is something would be a totally new experience for him to deal with. And yeah. it could make for an interesting gameplay mechanic too. Like maybe it center, centers around like training a Padawan and it could make for some interesting gameplay uh, stuff uh, that we haven't experienced too much for in a Star Wars video game. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. Um, and, you know, they could continue the same sort of companion combat system from this one where, you know, you could have Marin fighting alongside you, but you could also have Kata fighting alongside you, especially if it's another, uh, you know, if they do another time jump in between because she's... I mean, she seems like she's maybe like 10 or 11 at mm -hmm. the oldest. Um, and, you know, if they jumped ahead a few years and had her be like 14 or 15, like she definitely could be, you know, fighting alongside Cal. But then, I mean, that could raise another, another, you know, moral quandary too. I mean, there's a scene in this game where Seer and Cal are talking and she, I think he's talking about, you know, his fear of like losing himself and, um, you know, the, the fight and everything. And she says something about, uh, you know, how like you were only a child when they sent you off to war and like that fighting is all you've ever known, like since you were a kid. And, you know, you could sort of raise the question of like, is that the right thing to do? Um, you know, taking a, a kid under your wing and teaching them to fight and then going out and fighting against the empire and essentially using this kid as a soldier, like, is that the right thing to do? Like, that's, that's what, uh, sort of Cal knows because that's what was done with him. Um, but, you know, maybe he'll decide to sort of break that cycle and, and go about things a different way. So, um, yeah, it's definitely interesting with what they could do in the third game. There's a lot of different possibilities there. Um, but, man, I mean, like I said, it was just sort of such an unexpectedly just like bleak ending that kind of took me some time to come around to but then just the more i've sat with it and thought about it the more i really appreciate it and i just love i love the story i love these character arcs bode is such a, a complex and you know sort of unique character and just a great like, like a great foil to cal because he's in the same situation of just being a jedi survivor in this time period and having to do whatever he can to get by and you just kind of see like what that would look like for somebody under different circumstances, especially somebody that doesn't have sort of a whole support system like Cal has with, you know, his crew around him. Um, and it's like, you know, Bode had a family, but, you know, his wife was taken from him and it was just him and his daughter and he acted out of desperation and, uh, you know, went to the empire to make himself useful. Um, and it's like, you know, we've never seen that sort of story arc for a Jedi before, but it makes sense that, especially as a father, that he would, you know, sort of do whatever he had to do to keep his kid safe. Um, but another thing that, you know, again, it's sort of like finding out these layers to it as you go, because initially you're like, man, was he just a traitor the whole time? Was he really just setting these guys up? And, you know, he planned this from the beginning. Um but again, between between just thinking about some things and then continuing to play it and finding those additional force echoes from Bode that pop up, you know, after you beat the game and then also just rewatching some moments. I'm like, no, this definitely was something that he sort of came to 
over the course of the game because sort of the way it whole the the way it all plays out is initially the ISB agent um you know plants him on Cal's team with you know Saw's guys on Coruscant at the beginning of the game and the whole the initial plan is that uh Cal he's hoping that Cal will lead him back to Seer because the empire is after her um and the 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 ISB wants to put together their own operation to go you know capture Seer and everything because the ISB is getting ambitious and this is something else that you kind of find out in that section where you're you're going through the base um they're sort of in competition with the inquisitors and especially this this commander guy i think is denvik is the name of the guy that boat is working for um he's trying to sort of one-up vader and the inquisitors and prove that he can sort of do it better and that his own information network and stuff that he's got that like he can capture jedi just as well as they can um and so he's, you know, he's setting a boat on Cal's team to sort of start this whole operation where they're going to capture Seer and he's going to like gain favor with the emperor, emperor and stuff. Um, now, you also find out through one of these force echoes that part of the reason Boat is working with the Empire, too, is not just to keep Kata safe, but he wants the he wants the ISB guy to give him the name of the Inquisitor that killed his wife. Um, yeah. so he can get his revenge that way too. And that was another interesting kind of wrinkle that you don't really see play out over the main game is like, that's, that's another, um, you know, thing that's motivating him. And the ISB guy keeps stringing him along and he's like, you know, Bo, it's like, Hey, you promised me this Intel. And it's like, okay, yeah, well, if you want it now, you got to do this one more thing for me. Um, and so Bode's whole thing with Tantalor and everything is like, he wants to just get away from that. He wants to be able to finally get to somewhere where he can keep his daughter safe and not you know, have to keep doing this stuff for the empire and just get to somewhere where they can't find him. Um, but then once, uh, you know, again, once uh, Cal decides that he's going to bring the whole, you know, the path and the anchorites and everybody to Tantalor and Bode is like, well, I can't have that because that's too many Imperial fugitives in one place. And like, we still won't be safe. Um, there's a, an echo that you can find in Sears base where he's like really wrestling with himself. He's like, you know, you hear him kind of talking to himself. He's like, Boat, if you're going to do this, you got to do it now. Like, you know, it's, we're doing this for Kata. Just remember, we're doing this for Kata. And like, that's all that matters. And then you hear him make a call to the Empire, not to his ISB guys, um, but to, you know, some other Imperial. And he's like, you know, this is like, I'm an Imperial agent. I'm in a, a rebel Jedi base on Jeddah. Um, you know, you're not going to find it because it's hidden from your senses, but just follow my locator beacon and tell Darth Vader that if he wants Seer Junda, like this is his chance. So he calls the Empire down on you just to cause all this confusion so he can escape with, um, you know, with the compass to Tantalor. But then also, you know, when he then leads you back to uh, to the base on Nova Garon, he's like, he's counting on Cal wrecking that base and taking out those guys to get you know get the isb off his tail and you know pitting the isb and vader against each other because also like when when cal shows up there and he talks to denvik he tells him what happened on jetta and that vader showed up and denvik is like oh no like the jetta operation wasn't supposed to be for another few months like this is this is a disaster like you gotta let me fix this and you know cal's like no just you know tell me where boat is basically um but yeah, so just, you know, going through and finding out all these little things of like what his sort of how his plan unfolded, because it's not like, I mean, obviously, yes, he was working for the Empire all along. Um, but like there were moments where he genuinely was, 
you know, he and Cal have the same goals. He's like, you know, we're friends, we're getting to Tantalor together. Like this is my way out from under the empire. Um, but uh, yeah, then, you know, when, when push came to shove and he had to choose between what he saw as his only option for a, a peaceful future with his daughter and sharing that with the anchorites and everybody else, he chose to, you know, he, he kind of, he, he chose to turn them in and at the same time, try to do all this stuff to cover his tracks where he's like, I'm going to, you know, pit the inquisitors and the ISB against each other. I'm going to, you know, bring Cal here to take out this base. And, you know, he's sort of blazing this path of destruction to cover his own tracks. So, um, you know, again, just, it's, it's frustrating to see him do all this stuff at the end. Cause especially, you know, how much I liked him over the course of the game and thinking that he was a great friend and ally to Cal and a fun character um, to have him break your heart like that at the end was hard, but then to realize just sort of the, the layers of depth to his character and understanding why he makes all the choices that he does. And as much as it's painful and as much as you want to be angry at him, like realizing that some of his motivations are, are completely understandable um, is just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really, really well done. Um, and in the days since I beat the game, I went from just hating him to like still hating him, but him honestly being, you know, one of my, my favorite characters in star Wars, not, I'm not like in my top 10 in all of star Wars or anything, but he's really a, a great character and a, a unique sort of, uh, take on a Jedi survivor that we haven't seen before. Um, and again, you know, I, I really like the way that this game sort of explores those themes of like, what does it mean to be a survivor? Like, how do you, how do you move on? And, um, you know, what are sort of the lines that you're willing to cross to keep yourself and your loved ones safe? Um, and sort of these themes of obsession too, with like Dagon and his pursuit of Tantalor and, uh, and Bode and his obsession with keeping his daughter safe and sort of how they were consumed by that. And then seeing like, Cal and his quest for, you know, trying to fight the empire and trying to keep his friends safe and stuff. Like how does he go about falling into those same kind of traps? So um, yeah, that was all just, just really well done. Yeah. I mean, all that just plays into why I think from the story narrative that we're talking about in particular, just for me elevates it over the first game. I mean, the first game obviously is great and a great introduction to the characters and, coming out of uh, in first seeing Cal experience order to 60 order 66 and how he dealt with it living his like after that and then coming back into being the, of a role of a Jedi and, but then this all this one's taken it to the new level is obviously as the title implies Jedi survivor and not knowing it's not just limited to him but seeing how others <laughs> would deal with that and not um, come out of it as I mean, not saying he had a good, but come out of it still, you know, with a good head on his shoulders and someone more towards the light side of the forest or someone surviving, but um, doing things that would lead you to the dark side of the forest coming from a place, though, of just wanting to protect the ones you love. So, again, just just great Star Wars storytelling. I mean, this is the type of Star Wars story, storytelling that we just love so much and what makes Star Wars the best there is uh, when it comes to these type of stories. So, and this game just really captured it beautifully from uh the themes that was telling in the story and the characters that it was using uh to tell it so yeah just great just like i said before when it got the reveal that bode was the main antagonist and we found out more and more why he was doing what he was doing it took it to another level and it just made for 
a satisfying conclusion to what was just already a great story to experience in this game. Yeah, definitely. And when you take that, you know, that deep emotional story and wrap it around, you know, just such a, a fun and well-made, you know, action adventure, you know, Star Wars Jedi lightsaber game. Um, it really is just, you know, one of the all-time greats for Star Wars games. I think too, like, for success, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, story-wise too, um, you know, you were kind of comparing it to the first game. And it's like, I think there were definitely still aspects of the first game that I maybe liked more. Um, and I always appreciate something that's just kind of like a, um, a simple concept that's well executed. So as much as I yeah. love the expansive worlds in this game, like the fact that the first game is, is sort of a, a shorter game and it's sort of more compact and its story is very sort of simple and straightforward, but it's, it's well executed. Um, I don't know if I'd say I liked it better, but I think I will always like, I'll have a special place for that one as well. Um, and it's sort of like, it was sort of a more concise plot. Like, I feel like in this game, there's sort of a lot more subplots that are kind of going all over the place. Um, and it's not as much of like a plot driven thing. Again, you think Dagon is the main villain and yet like your final confrontation with him comes, you know, two thirds of the way into the game. And then it kind of introduces new stuff after that. Um, but this one, I think really was more about the character dynamics and the relationships and, uh, you know, just sort of the, the character arcs. It's very much, I think, you know, if we, if we do, and I'm assuming we will get a third game. Um, I think when we look back on this trilogy, like Jedi survivor is definitely going to be the empire strikes back of the trilogy. Um, and that it's, you know, definitely more, more character focused. It really takes what the first game, you know, the first game or in the case of star Wars, the first movie did. And, um, you know, expands on the world, expands on the lore, introduces a lot of new elements. But, you know, I think the strength of Empire really is on those character dynamics. I mean, you've got Han and Leia and their budding romance. You've got Luke training with Yoda and growing in his strength in the Force. Um, Vader gets a lot more time to shine in Empire than he does in A New Hope. And then, of course, it culminates with, you know, the I Am Your Father reveal. Um and then it kind of ends on a bleak note where, you know, you're, you're kind of left, um, I wouldn't say left on a cliffhanger, but like things don't end happily for the heroes in that game. And that's sort of the same thing or in that movie, it's sort of the same thing here in this game where, um, you know, they achieve their goal at the end of, of defeating Bode and reaching Tantalor, but it's kind of like at what cost? Um, because they've lost so much along the way. Um, and it does kind of leave you, you know, with, uh, with some, you know, maybe some mixed feelings and certainly some, some hurt and some sadness to go along with whatever triumph and joy is there. But um, definitely a, uh, an excellent story and a, a great chapter in this sort of ongoing tale. And I really hope, like I said, my hope is just that the third game ends on a happy note, that it's sort of the return of the Jedi of the franchise. Um, and I, I mean, I can't wait to see also like whatever sort of, gameplay improvements and you know just cool stuff that we get to do in the third game that we didn't get to do in this game maybe it'll be more of an expansion of the dark side force powers but i really hope that you know cal's able to you know come back to the light at the end of it i also i love too sort of the dynamic of um and this is another thing that i think that battle scars really enhances is honing in on the fact that like marin as a night sister is using magic that really is tied to the dark side 
Um, and that especially in that book, she is almost kind of consumed by like this dark rage for, uh, you know, wanting to get vengeance for her sisters and stuff. And yet she's able to find balance and sort of move past that. And now you have her, the night sister, who's kind of affiliated with the dark side, being the one to balance out Cal and keep him from losing himself to the darkness. Um, so I just, I love the dynamic between the two of them and, uh, you know, it's we, we've never seen a, a Jedi and Night Sister pairing like this before. Um, and I can't wait to see more of them, you know, going into the third game and uh, hope that everything ends up well for them. And I, I love their new little found family with the two of them sort of being like adoptive parents, Takata and Grease being like their grumpy old uncle. Um, so look forward to a lot more of those dynamics going forward in the next game, too. But uh, yeah, I don't know. This one was absolutely fantastic it certainly has stuck with me because i even on times when i haven't been you know continuously playing it um to go back and you know do more of the side quests and stuff but just when i've you know been going about my day like i still keep thinking about the story and the ending and everything and uh can't wait to go back and do another playthrough and experience it all over again too yeah i mean it was just everything i was hoping for in a sequel for jedi fallen order like i said it just improved on everything i felt that made the first game great and just did it even better. And uh, even like improving on certain things that I felt were annoying in the first game, like even just things like the map, I felt the map in this one was a lot easier <laughs> to navigate. Yeah. And to find out where you're going and see where some of the side quests or like force echoes or things you can collect are located in. So, yeah, but as we said, the story was great. Gameplay was just a blast to play through with the different lightsaber stances and the combat. And also, too, I mean, um after i finished it as we kind of hinted as far as another character who showed up uh made me want to do the bounty missions and that was fun but i will say it was a little bit repetitive as far as the designs of the bounties bounty hunters you were facing it was kind of the same look of either a humanoid or a droid that you would fight so there wasn't much variety there which was a little disappointing it would have been nice to maybe go up against um some more recognizable bounty hunters that we know from the star wars universe or at least some with different alien species and all that but um it was worth it to get to the end um <laughs> to see who shows up there for a fun cool cameo so <laughs> i was glad i was able to do that hey all i'm gonna say is i'm glad that i'm just glad that this game gives you the option to like pursue those bounties and go out and find the bounty hunters even though they're kind of repetitive and they're the same basically all the same haxi and brood bounty hunters that you fight in the first game um the fact that they don't just randomly jump you know, jump out and ambush you anymore. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> there was nothing worse than in Fallen Order when you got through a tough section where you'd been fighting a bunch of enemies and, you know, got beat up a little bit and you're running low on health or lo running low on healing stims. You're trying to get to the next, uh, you know, the next meditation point and you run around a corner and there's just like a randomly spawned, you know, Haxian brood bounty hunter droid that's, you know, knocking you all over the place because they would show up in random spots in the game. Like it wasn't a predetermined thing. So it's I like they might be that. there, they <laughs> might not. Um, and so it, I'm just glad that in this game, like, I think there's a couple of spots where they, they surprise you, but for the most part, like you pick up those bounties and then get to choose to go after them. Um, and, you know, they could still be kind of annoying. I haven't, I've actually gotten all the way through up to the point where you get the surprise cameo. Um, I did the final like regular Haxian brood boss before we got on to record tonight. I was trying to get all the way through um, 
all the way through that quest chain so we could talk about it. But I didn't have time to do all that and eat and get on here and get ready to record. So I'll probably do that. Uh, I don't know, maybe tomorrow night because it's getting pretty late. But um, yeah, just again, cool that there's um, that much you know extra stuff to do. I mean, in the first game, really, it was just kind of you know picking up the extra collectibles and stuff. So the fact that you actually have side quests in this game that uh, you know give you access to additional characters and stuff is really cool. Yeah, definitely. That one of those areas that is an improvement over the first one. Just a lot more to do and stuff that's uh, satisfying to do uh, after you complete the game too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, definitely. Like I said, I was we were, were kind of comparing just the stories, but overall, this game is definitely a big improvement from the first one. Um, which for me is saying a lot because I love the first game, but yeah, just between the the combat and the the side quests and the customization and the exploration and the characters and the story and everything, it's all a big step up. Um, so yeah, fantastic game. Um, you know, if you're you're listening to us talk all these spoilers, maybe it's because you've already beaten it, so you probably agree. But uh, if for whatever reason you're listening to all this and you haven't played it yet and you're still wondering if you should or not, like definitely give it a shot it's one of if not the best star wars game out there for sure so um yeah it's it's been incredible um i know you uh put out the question on social media to ask our listeners what they thought of it for anybody who'd finished it so far so uh i don't know was everybody else loving it as much as we were so yeah um first up our friend matt cranky he chimed in saying that playing the game and the previous fallen order i'm wondering how this was not a disney plus series or a movie which I think it's we're gonna get Cal in live action at some point. I just think it's only a matter of time, and I understand what Matt's saying here because it is so good. Uh, we want to see these characters, this type of stuff in live action. But at the same time, too, I'm like, it's cool that the video game corner of the Star Wars universe has like its crown jewel is something to be like, to yeah. Show. Like that aspect of Star Wars is thriving in the video game realm too. So it is kind of cool that that's this is where the story. Of Jedi Fallen Order, these great characters are taking place that it is on the video game side, but I definitely think we're going to see Cal in live action at some point. It would almost be a waste not to. <laughs> Which, and I want him to obviously play Cal in live action. I've said this before, and I'll keep saying this: if they're doing a trilogy of games, I don't want to see Cal Kestis in live action until after that trilogy of games is over. Um, because, fair, like, as yeah. as much as you know, you definitely could have these characters migrate into other corners of the universe and uh you know incorporate them into live action stories and stuff like i kind of like the games just being their own thing and because they're telling such good stories i don't want to have to have them change anything because it's like oh we have to line up with this movie or this mm -hmm. show or whatever that they're also going to appear in um i would rather just let them do their own thing tell their you know let them tell a good story in the game um because, you know, some of these things could translate well to a movie or a Disney Plus series or something. But, I mean, part of it, too, is just the... I mean, there's a lot of video games nowadays that tell really great stories. You know, whether it's, like, you know, God of War or The Last of Us or whatever. Like, there's, you know, tons of of great star, great video game stories out there. So, it's, you know, it's cool for Star Wars to have one as well. Um, and not that this is the first Star Wars game with a good story. I mean, we've got everything from, you know, Knights of the Old Republic and everything else. But... Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, to be having great Star Wars stories in in TV and movies and books and comics and stuff, like it's great to be able to have video games to be part of that too and have a great Star Wars uh, 
you know, video game story. And also like, there's definitely certain elements of it where like being able to play it really enhances the experience, whether it be mm. just the experience of playing as a Jedi and getting to do all the lightsaber action and stuff, or like, but even, you know, we mentioned the the moment with Marin on Jedha and like flying through the portals and stuff like that also would be really cool to see in a TV show. But I think it just wouldn't quite be the same as yeah. you know, the experience the of playing time. it and mm-hmm. and having that controller in your hands and sort of controlling it yourself. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm definitely happy that we're getting these stories in games and uh I I would prefer to let it be its own thing, at least for now. Also, I think they asked Kathleen Kennedy about that at Celebration. I saw that in like one of her interviews where they asked about, um, you know, Cal Kestis coming into live action. And she said like, that's, you know, an interesting idea, but not something that we're focusing on right now or not something that's in development. So, um, and I'm totally on board for that. Again, you look at the success and the popularity of these games. It's not like it's a niche thing that like, not that many people know about that needs to kind of be exposed to a wider audience um, through being in a TV show or something. I think obviously video games are, you know, a huge medium in their, in and of themselves. So um, yeah, there's going to be plenty of people that get to experience the story this way. And I think that's great. So. Yeah. Um, I agree for the most part, but at the same time, I, I think we're eventually going to see him in live action, not maybe in his own series or anything, but we're going to see Cal in live action somewhere. He'll yeah, I think, I think, it, series. I think it depends on how the third game ends. Yeah. Um, okay. Because, you know, I mean, see, here's the problem is I feel like if you were going to bring him into live action, I think the perfect time would be in the new movie with Ray, like trying to build her new Jedi order and stuff. And it's like her trying to see if there's any Jedi left still left out there and like, there could be old man Cal Kestis still chilling on Tantalor. Um, but I don't want them to tell that story before the third game comes out. Um, but like, yeah, you could you could eventually work that in somewhere. But also, again, having this whole thing of Tantalor gives you an option to like sort of take these characters off the board and, you know, not have to have them around during the events of the original trilogy or something. And then you could bring them back in later. So, um yeah, I don't know. The possibility is there. But for right now, I'm just like, just give us another good game and, uh, you know, just kind of focus on that first. <laughs> All right. And then Caleb says, uh, I finished it this week and just wow, this is hands down my favorite Star Wars game we've ever gotten. And one of my favorite Star Wars stories we've ever gotten. Really hoping we get these characters in live action sometime. So <laughs> Caleb and Matt are kind of on the same page there. And then uh, I don't know if I should read this one from uh, my pal Dane, who <laughs> informed me about Rick the Technician. They <laughs> got uh, uh, Zelda here because he goes, I really like Jedi Survivor because there wasn't any weapon degradation. And I didn't have to forge 25 branches to get past the first phase of the Dagon fight, nor did I have to get all the ingredients to make a special stew because Cal was cold. Uh, Dane, yeah, he wanted to throw a jab at me and my love for Breath of the Wild and Zelda and how all that kind of stuff that um, some people had a problem with and found annoying in that game wasn't a factor at all in Jedi Survivor. So, but two totally different games, but I digress. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I didn't even realize he was talking about Zelda because I've never played Breath of the Wild, <laughs> but I know that there are some other games where like, you know, you have to craft stuff like that and whatever. But yeah, I'm glad that you don't have to do that in Jedi, you know, Jedi Survivor either, or that, you know, your, your lightsaber doesn't break after a certain number of hits and you got to craft a new one. Yeah. That would be annoying. <laughs> yeah, especially when it comes to lightsabers. Yeah, like, no, I can't work with a lightsaber. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, so good to see that you know, those who chimed in and 
listened to the show enjoyed Jedi Fallen or Jedi Survivor, I should say. But just overall, I think everyone just really appreciated what a great game it is. It got really great reviews when it launched. Um, just I'm seeing nothing but positive feedback for it. So, and one thing I I gotta mention before uh, we wrap the discussion, how great was the commercial that came out with Cameron Monaghan and Mark Hamill, kind of coaching him <laughs> to yeah, oh yeah, as he's kind of preparing training and doing the motion motion capture for uh, the game. And then you have that moment where Cameron's trying to coach him, uh, Mark Hamill on how to play the game, <laughs> and Mark Hamill told, "Don't ever like." Coach me on how to use the force kit or something like that. It yeah. was just great, great them going, um, not going necessarily going at it, but just having fun with each other and from their different experiences with working in Star Wars. It was fantastic. Yeah, they actually made a couple of different uh, of those ads there, you know, on social media and stuff. That's uh... it was it was cool. I actually, got to see it. Uh, they showed up before uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three when I saw it on opening night. So was, oh, that's cool. That's cool to get. <laughs> yeah. They if they showed that in my theater, I didn't get there early enough for that. It definitely wasn't during the, the trailers, but um yeah, it's been cool to see it, you know, get a lot of popularity and a lot of uh you know good um good critical reception too. Um unfortunately, you know, this came out and everybody was talking about, oh, this game's so good, like it's definitely gonna be a game of the year contender, but then like a couple weeks later, this new Zelda game's coming out and everybody's like, Oh, this is already the best reviewed game of all time. And I'm like, Oh, well, there goes the awards for Jedi Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> but they tried, good effort. It's best game of the year in, in my book. So um Yeah, uh, at least it'll definitely be in the conversation, or at least make it a little harder to choose <laughs> which yeah. game is your favorite. It'll yeah. get as long as they, as long as they get some nominations, maybe you get a couple of wins, but so um, yeah, it's like it's, it's such, but like, you know, nerd problems right now. You got a great new Star Wars game. Star Wars is my favorite franchise, my favorite entertainment thing ever. But has a great game with it. Zelda is my favorite video game franchise ever. We got a new game that's coming out there. Then just a month later, my second favorite video game franchise, Final Fantasy 16, comes out. So it's like the trifecta of video games for me. All in the short span of time, where it's just like there's no way I can beat all these. Um, and move on to the next one when it comes out. But yeah, too um, many good games, too little time. Yeah, good problem to have, but <laughs> still, it just makes it where you want to get experience all of it so quickly as they come out. But just got to learn to pace yourself and focus. And uh, it's not the end of the world if you're a little late uh, playing one of these new games because it's best just to immerse yourself and enjoy it as you're playing, not trying to hurry and rush and rush through it. So yeah, you don't that's how I got to take it. To beat it. But uh, yeah, glad to hear, you know, from some of you guys that enjoyed it just as much as we did. So um, thank you guys, as always, for chiming in with your thoughts. And if you want to, uh, you know, connect with us on social media and, and talk about this kind of stuff with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Um, check out our Facebook page as well. Uh, Star Wars The Saga Continues. And you can send us an email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. Um, and also check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com. Um, but uh, yeah, that's going to do it for now. Um, we will be back in a couple of weeks with Paul to talk uh, Star Wars Vision Season 2. Looking forward to that. Um, also, I know I've brought this up before, but if any of you listening happen to live in the Southwest and be thinking about going to uh, the Phoenix Fan Fusion Convention at the beginning of June, uh, you can hear me and Tim talking Star Wars in person there, along with our friend Jason Hunt from the Wampus Lair. We'll be on some Star Wars panels throughout the weekend. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun as well. 
Um, but uh, yeah, thank you guys for, for tuning in here and sticking with us through this long episode. I figured we would go a while on this one just because, I mean, there's so much to talk about with this game and we both loved it so much. I did not expect to return to another three hour episode, but uh, I'm sitting here at the end of this going, you know what? I shouldn't be surprised because uh, with as much as I've, you know, been sitting with my thoughts on this game for the past week, I'm not surprised that, you know, we had a lot to say on it. So, um, but thank you guys for sticking with us and uh, hope you enjoyed the show. We will see you next time and may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>